Hey guys, it's Chris from Tap the Craft, and I wanted to say thank you for checking out our show. I also wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Brewer Shirts. At the forefront of the craft beer movement, Brewer Shirts was one of the first to create apparel that celebrates the art of brewing and the love of fine beer. Never too trendy, always comfortable, and offering affordable quality. They screen print their gear by hand in their studio using eco-friendly inks, materials, and processes. Check out their online store at brewershirts.com and use the coupon code tapthecraft2020 to receive 15% off of full-priced items. craft beer friends to a special episode of tap to craft podcast i am danny loose and i'm recording from boise idaho and i'm pleased to introduce the host of radio is lame podcast and fellow u.s submariner mr johnny casino welcome to the show johnny and of course uh, what's in your glass oh man so the the beer i'm drinking right now is something i've ever had before uh, and it was one that I showed you whenever mm-hmm. I purchased it, and you'd made a comment about knowing this brewery. So I am drinking uh, a man go fluff yourself from <laughs> Riverbend. Yeah, that name is great, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Riverbend Brewing Company. It's a mango milkshake IPA. Um, Denny, I don't know what to think about this ahead of time. Okay. You, you've already tried. You have you tried it or not? Just just going off of. Uh off the the name and what it is yeah well so i don't think i've ever had a milkshake ipa before i've heard of them but i've never had one and so i'm looking at this and i just poured it and there's definitely a lot of um like thickness look to it and it smells delicious yeah (laughs) that's good it's good got a lot of mango tropical flavor in there you know, the, the mango flavor is, um, it's there, but it's not overpowering. Okay. That's good. So that's good. Yeah. And, and the, like the, the hops, like it's definitely an IPA, but it's not the kind that hits you real hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, I, rec- I recommend anyone, um, anyone out there, go try to try one of these. Are, is, is this a style of beer you've, you've had much? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a fairly recent style. Uh, it's part of the New England Hazy IPA, and uh, they just kind of add a little bit extra lactose and vanilla. So they add a little bit of vanilla to it and some lactose to give it that sweet character and that vanilla, uh, like almost like a milkshake, right? Because that vanilla flavor will give you uh, milkshake character. Now, some people really like this. And some people really don't like it. Um, anyone who's sensitive to lactose, as far as the flavor of that milk sugar, uh, may yeah. not may not like it. It can kind of come across super fake sweet. Uh, and if you're also not, you know not a fan of New England hazy IPAs, uh, a lot of people say that they taste like uh, like you're drinking you know chalk or something like that. Right? It has like uh, a flavor they don't like. They like to have. The people who don't like hazies, they like the West Coast really super bitter IPAs. And so they either like one or the other. I like both. I, I appreciate both. I um, you know, I'm 
I saw that you had picked up a bunch of hazy IPAs, except for I think the Ex Novo one you picked up is a West Coast IPA. But uh, have, have you been, were you wanting to try some hazies? Are, are you new to the hazy scene or are you experienced with hazies? So, I mean, I've, I've had a few hazies here and there. Um, but pretty much what I did is, is like, you know, listening to the show, hearing you talk about bottle shops, I, mm-hmm. I discovered there's one about less than 10 minutes from my house. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, so I went down there and I basically walked in and said, hey, what are some beers that I've probably never had from breweries I've probably never heard of? Mm -hmm. And so she pointed out a number of these. So I picked up four. I I think only two of them are hazy. So I had this one here. And then yesterday I drank a banana, orange, strawberry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, double IPA, which was similar uh, as, as far as the smoothness of it. And, you know, the hops were not as uh, pronounced. And it was very delicious, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't really going for any hazies. Uh, now, the other one I'll be drinking later, I believe, is a West Coast IPA. Or, sorry, East Coast IPA or New England IPA. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Denny. <laughs> I, I love beer. I, I, I've been drinking craft beer for a long time. There are certain things, like the difference between a West Coast IPA and a New England IPA that I could never have told somebody. Like, wh- what what defines the two? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know now or you want to learn? <laughs> well, why don't you give me the breakdown? It, it it seems like from some things you said, it's definitely more of a hot punch. I know with the, the, the West Coast IPAs, which I make those a lot, mm-hmm. um, I use a lot of Citra mm-hmm. uh, hops in, in the brewing and stuff like that. So are most of the New England ones more the hazy, more the, the, the slightly more calmed down version of an IPA? Yeah. Yeah. So the big difference is the West Coast IPAs are going to have high citrus, high piney hop character. Uh, they'll be clear in color. They're not going to be hazy and they're going to be a lot more bitter. So you'll have that bitter punch. So that's typically, you know, a lot of times we're going to be using hops that are from the Pacific Northwest. Um, the three C hops, Centennial, uh, Columbus, and uh, Citra. Cit- no. Uh, Oh my gosh! Why can I not uh, remember the three C's? Cent- Centennial, <laughs> Centennial, Columbus, and I want to say Chinook, but I don't think that's right. But I, I, we did a show on it. Uh, th- those are the, the big <laughs> ones, right? The big, the big uh, uh, bitter, piney, and citrus uh, hop flavors, um, and that's what the original IPAs were, and that were big in the states when they first started coming out. Now, there's a there's a two different sides of IPAs that come on the west on the east coast. A standard east coast IPA before the whole New England IPA came was more of an English IPA. So a lot of the influence of the beer on the east coast is from you know from Britain because that's where, you know that's where a lot of the the old colonials came from. So they brought that that enjoyment of those herbal, uh, earthy noble type hops or, or English hops. Uh, I was never a big fan of those type of hops when I was first learning to drink beers. So um, I liked English, some English beers, but I didn't like the IPAs. The IPAs just tasted like I was, you know, licking, uh, you know, a rock, you know, eating some dirt and stuff. It just wasn't good. <laughs> so um, I wasn't a big fan of of uh, East Coast IPAs, but then came the New England IPA, and this started kind of up there in the Vermont area, in that in that that region. And this is where brewers started playing with the chemistry of 
of the materials that are putting in there, especially the hops. And the hops, when added into uh, the the brewing process at a certain time, a certain temperature, and a certain mixture of other stuff in there, they will give off some unique flavors. Um, and and like you said, the the New England IPA is a lot softer. Um, they usually put oats in there uh, to give it mm. that extra body, and, and yeah. they give it creamy a creamy character. And there and most of it is going to be um, like a citrus tropical fruit hop character, but not in the same citrus, 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 like, uh, you have on the West coast. It's going to be more subdued and, and, uh, mild. Um, there's also a lot of tropical. So, you know, Mike Allen, one of our, our great listeners, he, uh, has a thing when you, when you call a IPA new England, instead of just a hazy, it has to have some citrus character in there. If it's not okay. a citrus, uh, you know, a cit- citrus, uh, IPA, then it's not really new England. Which which is fine. Most, I didn't know that until he mentioned it, actually. But it makes sense. But a lot of the of these New England IPAs are really tropical, or hazy IPAs are really tropical fruits. So you're going to get a lot of those mangoes, like you have right there. That's a perfect example of having mango. A mango IPA, milkshake IPA, is is a you know tropical fruit. Uh, they call them juicy too because a lot of that uh, fruit character yeah. comes across like it's really like juicy. And they look like something you might have got out of an Orange Julius, you know, at the mall. You know, you're not kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of the breakdown of the different IPAs, uh, and and yeah, so it's it's, a, it's it's a learning curve. I mean, it's it wasn't it wasn't really, but uh, you know, f- four years ago that New England IPAs and hazy IPAs really became famous, right, and, and known, and people started really brewing them. And now they're everywhere. So I'll say one thing I really notice about a beer like this is, I mean, it's 7% uh, alcohol by volume. And if you take a, like a double IPA, that's a 7%. I mean, it's not super high, but a lot of times you can, you can taste a bit of it and you can definitely feel a bit of it, of it with ones like these. And also the one like um, the, the banana orange strawberry one I had, you could just sit there and just down these things one mm-hmm. after another. And I mean, you would notice Trust me, after a couple, <laughs> you're definitely going to notice, but not in that same way. Like you won't notice as you're drinking it that you're drinking something a bit heavier. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Johnny, well, before we get before I go further, though, I, I am also drinking, uh, and right, I'm starting off with a hazy too. I knew you had some hazies, so I got uh, Belching Beaver. Is nice. that coming? Out, can you see that? Uh... I can. That, that is an awesome can. Okay, so Belching Beaver is a brewery out of Southern California. And uh, again, people have a big problem with the name of this brewery because, you know, we're Navy men, we're submariners, we know what, uh, you know, what a belching beaver is. (laughs) And it's kind of childish, right? Uh, And so people have a real problem with this, but they make really good beers. And so they might be adolescent, uh, you know, mentality, but hey, we can appreciate it, right? So do do you think that... When breweries name their their brewery and name their beers, right? Because you you find a bunch. I mean, this one's called Mango Fluff Yourself, <laughs> right? That's that's not exactly the most mature name yeah, a beer can yeah, ever have. Yeah. So, do you think that that hurts the company? Like, do you think that actually? I mean, if you think about the the people that are are big into the craft beer scene, do you think that those dumb names pull them in and make them chuckle because we're all immature, or do you think it pushes them away a bit? I think it has kind of a push pull thing because 
some brewers just want to make they don't they don't want to follow the rules right they want to be you know bad boys and they just want to do it their way and you know what i get a kick out of pun you know beer pun names and and plays off of the names it's creative and i and i get a laugh and and i'm and i'm a child at heart so of course i really appreciate it but there are some people that would see uh, a name like this and maybe even some of the beers that have been named over the years and say that this is not a brewery for me. I, I can't, I can't respect it because it's, you know, if they're, if they're having adolescent names like this, the beer can't be that good. The problem too is Belching Beaver has been around for a long time. And when craft beer was first like getting its speed up, um, you know, nobody cared, you know, it, you, only people that were local were going to get this beer anyway. And they wasn't, yeah. gonna, they weren't planning, you know, they weren't thinking they were going to expand out and it was going to be a, a problem. Now, you know, 15 years later, they're probably, you know, there might be second guessing some of the stuff they've done, but they haven't changed the name. I think they did change the label on, on some of their bottle. I have, <laughs> I have some belching beaver bottles that, um, you know, that are the old artwork where it's a beaver doing some, you know, things belching. that a belching beaver might do. <laughs> Uh, and, and I like it. I get a kick out of it. So I, it doesn't bother me, but I have heard that, um, you know, especially people that are trying to raise up the, uh, you know, raise, raise craft beer up into a more professional, uh, hobby, I guess, or, or whatever, you know, that they do find some problems with it, but I don't have a problem with it. I'm, I like it. Now, now, now one thing. With, with the craft beer scene and, and something I'm always like when I go into a place, I, I love IPAs. And when I go into a place and I was talking to the lady about this, I was like, it's like, I, I want, I want a good IPA. And every time I say that, I always have this fear that someone's going to look at me with that judgy eye and mm -hmm. call me a hipster. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's mm -hmm. just, and, and trust me, I am the farthest thing from a hipster you'll ever find. <laughs> so so to, to bring this back around, do you think it's the hipsters and I'm calling them out for a second. I think it's the hipsters that have a problem with names like the Belching Beaver. I don't know. I don't know. I I'm. I think it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I don't know who's complaining about it. I I ignore all that noise, and I just go. If I enjoy a beer, Smart. I'm going to enjoy it. I just I don't want to. I don't get mixed up in that. And I think hipsters are moving away. You know, I think they have their own special beers that they like, but I th they're probably the guys <laughs> drinking the seltzer water right now or seltzer <laughs> crap, right? They're the White Claw and all that, all those people. <laughs> I, so I, I think the hipsters are gone. I, I don't, I definitely don't see as many hipsters as I used to see uh, going into uh, breweries and stuff. So maybe, yeah, maybe we, we kicked them out because they weren't uh, playing nicely. It's a good world. <laughs> well, you can probably see I'm, I I might have a beard, maybe a, like a hipster, but I'm far from a hipster. So we'll leave yeah, it at that. No, you're safe. Yeah, but I am drinking Hazer's Gonna Haze. A little play on the old, uh, you know, hazy IPA thing. And I've had this beer before and it's it's pretty good. It's not the best hazy IPA, but you know what? It was in my fridge and I said, I'm going to drink a hazy while you're on because I knew you had some hazies. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get let's get on with the show. Before we get started, I always like to let anyone new listening to the show, and I'm sure because I've got you, Johnny, on the show, you're going to spread the word that you were on a podcast, and you're going to have all kinds of listeners that may not have been <laughs> listening to me before listening to us right now. So let everyone know what we're about. 
Uh, Tap to Craft Podcast is an educational podcast. We focus around celebrating all things craft beer because we want to assist you, our listener, along in your craft beer journey and adventures. And you're listening to episode 171, and we're recording on Monday, February 1st, 2021. And today, we will be focusing on interviewing Johnny. We want to learn about his craft beer journey. We want to learn about his home brewing experience. We want to learn about his podcast and what motivates him to interview strangers who are media creators. And of course, selfishly, I want to talk to him about his time in the U.S. Navy and submarine life. Wow, Johnny, yes. it's all about you. And uh, I can't wait. Of course, of course, you can always count on some great beer conversation. We've already had some great conversation before we even got the show started. Exactly. Are you, are you ready to get this thing started? Where, where do you want to start, my friend? I, I want to start with your craft beer journey. Now, you've already kind of started a little bit. You talked about some of the questions I'm going to ask you. But I always the first question I always want to learn about people that are enjoying craft beer is, you know, when did you first try craft beer? And was that experience, was it a positive experience? Or was the first time you had craft beer, you know, was like in the old days when they had that bitter beer face and you're like oh this is horrible and you go back to your you know whatever you're drinking how was your experience you know it, it's one of those things that's a little bit hard to say because there's so many beers out there that uh as a um what's the word i want to use an imbecile when it comes <laughs> when it came to beer at the time i was like oh this is some you know this isn't budweiser obviously it's mm -hmm. it's a smaller brewery or whatever so you know, I, when I, when I finally worked my way away from Budweiser, I started drinking more. I was in Hawaii at the time. It's back in my Navy days, which I know we're going to dive into. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started drinking a number of Kolsch's and mm. um, stuff like that uh, from Kona, which I don't know if Kona is considered a, a craft brewery or if it's owned by one of the big ones. Um, <laughs> but but it was it was still a number of um, like more mellow type beers, mm -hmm. right? And I, th I think anyone who's going into to try and craft beer and like that, if you if you're going into it and you're drinking uh, an, uh, um, just like a, a pale ale or a Kolsch or something like that, then it's it's not going to be like a kick in the face type transition mm -hmm. as as if you were to go and, you know, go to some of these crazy breweries that have like, you know, all these insane IPAs and, mm -hmm. and whatever else. Um, So I, I, I started there and I got away and I started getting into some reds which I think were also still not quite craft stuff, right? And then when I when I left my first submarine and I went back to Texas, I started getting into some of the the um, Texas craft brewery that the scene was still not very big down there, right? Mm -hmm. So we had Carbock, which has since been bought out by one of the big ones, I believe. Um, uh, uh, no Label is down there, which is a, a brewery I absolutely love. And uh, St. Arnold's. Mm -hmm which also might be owned by one of the big ones now. I'm not sure. Uh, but I started drinking just a, a number of, of those. And I started getting into um, uh, still, still the lagers, still the, the pale ales. Mm -hmm. um, I had a few, I can't remember what they are now that I used to, they were perfect for like, you know, mowing the grass and it's like 95 degrees mm -hmm. outside and then finishing it with like these specific beers. Um, but I must've worked my way up in a way did I did it gradually enough? Because, you know, if you think about it, right, the first time someone tries an IPA, especially like a strong IPA, it's going to punch you in the face mm -hmm. if you're not used to it. Yeah. But I don't have any memory of, of having that experience. So, so yeah, I mean, 
I just kind of, I think I kind of slowly moved my way into it and slowly moved up to these more uh, extreme beers that I, yeah. I, uh, I find myself loving these days. Well, I think you did it right. That's the, that's the right way of doing it. Did you, did you have anyone helping you along or did you kind of just like stumble into it? You know, as you just say, you know what, I'm going to try this Kolsch in Kona. Or did someone say, hey, you should really try this, this Kolsch? So, so uh, when, when, I was, when I was in the Navy, um, five days a week, well, depending on my, on my duty rotation, four to five days a week, we would end up at the same bar. It was a mm-hmm. bar called the Bikini Cantina. We liked it because all the waitresses wore bikinis. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I just wanted to try something new. And they'd bring out, it was, it was called Kona Longboard was one of their beers. And they'd bring it out in this goblet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's cool. It's in a goblet <laughs> and it's, it's delicious. And so I would drink, you know, however many of those, depending on if I was driving or if I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, so we'd go, to, we'd go down there, we'd drink these and then I had a convertible. So we drop the top and we drive down the streets of Honolulu on the way back to the base. And we'd yell at the prostitutes that were all out there on all the corners. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go back to base. And so I, I, I don't know that anyone else out there was like, Oh, try this beer, try mm-hmm. this beer. I think I was just like, I want something different. Yeah. Okay. Well, you did, you, then you did it right. Cause I was thinking that somebody must've been coaching you along to be able to transition as you did. Like you, you mentioned, you know, things that were already closer to the lagers you were drinking with the Kolsch and then you were moving into the reds, which is a more malty, but not bitter still has, you know, has that malty sweetness. So you, you're not, you know, again, mm-hmm. you're transitioning from just lighter flavored to more flavored. And then, when you did go to the IPA, you know, if you did go to a pale before that, then you got a little bit of that hot bitterness. So it wasn't overwhelming. And then the IPA was like, yeah, it's a little bit bigger pale ale. Ah, not too bad. So I think that's a perfect transition that didn't cause you to be alien, alienated from craft beer uh, from the beginning. I mean, that's kind of why I, I do this podcast is because, you you know, you kind of mentioned earlier in the, in the show that, uh, you know, you don't. Nobody likes to go into a bar or go into a bottle shop and feel like they don't, that they're like, they're like, don't know anything. You know, I've been around people that as I'm in the bottle shop looking and I can see, obviously they are totally lost. And of course they're not buying the beer for themselves. They're buying the beer for, uh, you know, for a friend that, that said, Hey, can you go find this beer? And they're looking for that one beer. And guess what? That one beer is not in the store. So now they're lost. Well, I don't know what kind of beer. So I ask them, hey, what do you, how, how are you doing? Can I help you find anything? I'm a total stranger. I don't work here. But I'm just a friendly <laughs> guy that likes to help people along in their, in, in their craft beer journey. So I ask, I ask whoever it is, what are, you, what are you looking for? Well, I have a friend and he wanted this beer. Do you know what's close to that? I said, of course I know exactly. You know, and I can go and, and you know, I've had enough beer that I can go through and pick out things that are similar to the flavor profile that that person wants. And they can, you know, choose a few things, take them home. And, and guess what? They're going to be, that person's going to be happy. Now, maybe they're not ecstatic because they got the beer they wanted, but they got something that was close enough. And so many people are scared to, you know, to open up like that. So, so I actually, I, I'd like to propose a different take okay. on the situation. Okay. And that is, I recommend going into places like this, like you don't know anything, even if you do. When I go to a restaurant I've never been to before, and the waitress comes up, and by the way, my wife absolutely hates this, <laughs> I will ask them, what's good? Yeah. What do you recommend? I do the same thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so I walked into this bottle shop, 
and I saw the lady work back there and someone who's working at a bottle shop, you know, they have a passion for this type of beer or they would not be working there. I don't think anyone gets rich working at a place like that. No, right. No. Or even owning it. And so they're going to be able to give you suggestions and you're going to come out with something that you never expected. Now, mm -hmm. You should have some kind of an idea if there are certain styles of beer you just absolutely do not like. Yeah. Right. But outside of that, walk into a bottle shop and be like, what do you recommend? What do you think you have that I've never seen before and never tried before? And then give it a try. Yeah. You know, if it's yeah. a $35 bottle, maybe don't give that one a random <laughs> yeah. try. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, these cans were at most $4. Maybe I think there were some like six or $7 cans mm -hmm. uh, that were there, but. For four dollars, trying something like this—I've never tried it before. Mm -hmm. I would not have just thought to get something called "Go Fluff Yourself." It's a mango milkshake IPA. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound manly, does it? <laughs> I, I mean, I, oh, I, trust me, I, I have dropped worrying how man about how manly I look to anybody. Uh, but you know, you go in there and you say, "I don't, I don't know what I want. What do you think I might want?" Yeah, and take their recommendations and try something. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did the same thing when uh, I mentioned in the last episode that I went to Spokane, went to a bottle shop I'd never been to. The The lady was nice enough to open it an hour early. She didn't have to, but she let us in to buy. And then I was going through picking stuff. And then I, I was asking, I, you know, hey, I've never heard of this brewery. Which, what's the best beer, in your opinion, that I could grab to try? And sure enough, she, you know, provided several different uh, you know, things like that, you know, from different breweries and I'd grab them and guess what? Every single one that she told, you know, she recommended to me was a fantastic beer. If I would have just gone and just picked one without knowing, I might not have got the good ones, right? I might've got one that was good, but not like really good. And these were, uh, honestly, I mean, I think all the ratings I gave them so far have been, I think I finished all the beers too. They're all like, you know, four and a half or five cap ratings. And, you know, from breweries that I had never heard of or, and had no idea, you know, what beers I should, you know, grab from them. So, yeah, I recommend also, you know, asking the experts. You know, they're the ones that are hearing from other people and finding out whether if they if they haven't tried them themselves, other people have told them that these are good beers to uh, to recommend. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, uh, another question I like to ask is, uh, you, you know, you mentioned. You didn't say it, but you mentioned gateway beers because, you know, a Kolsch is one of those easy styles that you can get into craft beer with without feeling like you're overwhelmed. So Definitely. Um, do you do you have a do you I mean, I I don't know how much you drink or, you know, how much into the craft beer thing is. But do you have a beer that when you are, invite a friend or someone over that doesn't really drink that you want to offer them a beer that you would say, here, this is a great beer for you to try? Oh, I mean, that's, that's tough. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have my breweries that uh, I know if I get something from them, it's going to be good. You know, I'm mm -hmm. looking behind you and you have some Elysian back there. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had anything from Elysian I didn't like. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever had anything from uh, Iron Head that I didn't like. I don't Iron think I've Horse? ever had anything. Yeah, oh, sorry, Iron Horse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Iron Horse was good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever had anything from them I didn't like. Um, I, I Pretty much everything from Silver City. Yeah. Um, is, is something I absolutely love. Uh, but, th but the problem is if you have someone coming over who is a, not a, not into the craft beer scene, um, I mean, th these beers can be a little extreme, even mm -hmm. if they're not super extreme beers. Mm -hmm. So if, if I wanted to be like, okay, someone's coming over, they don't drink, uh, a craft beer and I want to give them something good. Uh, I, I would definitely go for, 
like a craft beer version uh, of like some kind of like American lager or something like that, because it's going to be similar to what they're probably already drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like you said, Kolsch that I mentioned before mm-hmm. is uh, a, a great one. Or if you can find a pale ale that's, that's on the less hoppy side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but normally I just say, there's the tap, go fill up with the one on the right or go fill up with the one on the left. Take the tester cup. Yeah. Cause if you hate it, I'm not going to be offended. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. That's a good plan too. That's a good plan too. Okay. So let's see. Do you have a, I mean, you already mentioned you're a big fan of IPAs. Is that your favorite beer style or do you have another style you like better? So I get torn. Um, so I have a two tap uh, uh, in my kitchen. I almost always try to have an IPA on one side, a stout on the other. Okay. I enjoy really dark stouts and I enjoy really hoppy IPAs. Now, I mean, I've got other styles that I enjoy here and there. I mean, I watch a love. Um, oh God. I, I, I mean, all of them. I love all of them. <laughs> but but I, I want to say stouts, stouts and IPAs, which are basically polar opposites of each other, um, are, are probably my two favorites that I, I if I can have them around, I will. Okay. Okay. How about your least favorite style? Oh God. <laughs> least favorite any, style. Any any type of beer that you just hear the word mentioned of this style and you're like, oh no, I don't want that. Uh Lone Star. <laughs> uh <laughs> No, you know what I'll tell you. So I, this is what I tell people, right? I, I have this, I have this poster, and it's got this guy's like snooty looking guy with a monocle, and it's like something about being a beer snob. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got that downstairs by my by my uh, little brewery area, but I, I don't really fit that because I tell people it's like, look, if I come over to your house and you hand me a beer, I'm going to drink it. There's one beer I might turn down, and that's Miller. Mm. I do not like Miller. I don't know what it is, but I won't drink it. Okay. Anything else? I'll drink. I mean, it it might not be my favorite. Um, I, I will say American Lagers is the one I'm having the harder time trying to find something that I I really like. But man, there are, there are some craft breweries out there that make some really good ones, and mm-hmm. I've made one or two that I thought was really good. Mm. Um, but you got to be in the mood for it. I mean, that's one you drink as cold as can be just to do it. Okay, you know. All right, that, hey, no no problem. How about a go to beer? Like, uh, like you go through and you, and you, you see this beer on the shelf and you just can't help but just grab a six pack of it or brew it. If, if that's, if, if you do more brewing of your own, is there something that is like your go-to beer that, that you just always just got to go and grab and then you'll grab something else too, along with it? Uh, my, my go-to, um, especially living in Washington now where it's never gets really that hot and you can basically drink a, a good stout all year round, uh, it is uh quilter's Irish death, which yeah. I think you and I talked about months yeah. and months ago. Yeah. It's a great um, beer. It is. It's a fantastic beer. And I actually have my own recipe that is similar. Like I designed it myself, but I think I based a lot of it off this and then, and kind of made tweaks and stuff like that. Uh, I like to have a good milk stout on tap or in my fridge and I could just sit there and drink it all day long. Okay. Well, there you go. That sounds good. All right. So a question, a fun question I like to ask everyone that comes on is, um, you know, and you, you're a home brewer, so I'm sure that maybe you have already done this in the, you know, in, as your brewery or as some beers you brewed. But I always like to find out if you were able to name a beer and or a brewery, what would you call it? Anything you so I was what I was wondering if this question was going to come up because I heard it when you had the, the last guest on. Mm-hmm. 
and I am terrible. I, I am not creative. <laughs> I, I think I had a creative part of my life. And then the Navy took that away from me. And then I've lost all creativity and I have a hard time. So like I have some names. So like my stout that I make myself. So it, in, in beer Smith, which is the program I use to help me do all my, my recipes. Uh, it's called my stout in there. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I think I had a, a lager I was trying to make that was called like not or not all of them are bad or something like ah, that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I did. And I don't know what the language rating is on this. It's, it's whatever you want. Uh, it, so I, 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 I have a black IPA. Now you and I talked about black. IPA. I love I black, black IPA. So my black IPA is, it's at least a double, if not a triple. I try to get it to about 12%, which requires adding oh, wow. actual like sugar to it. That's an Imperial. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and so I called that one bitch slap because ah. that's what it did. Yeah, like it was, yeah. it was the back of someone's hand across your face as you drank it. <laughs> uh, between it, it, Basically, I went into it. Like, how dark can I make this? How hoppy can I make this? How strong can I make this? So, and I think that might be the next beer that I brew. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I I absolutely love Cascadian Dark Ale or Black IPA, whatever you want to call it. It's a style that I fell in love with the first time I had it. And I just, because I love, like you, I, I'm we're very similar. I also love IPAs and I love stouts. And I love that Black IPA mixes the two together. You get that roasty malt character and that bit, you know, that that hop flavor and bitterness in there. And I just love black IPAs. Now, John Ream, my former host that that owns Trek Trek Brewing, he oh, nice. he calls he says that I don't really like black IPAs. I just like American stouts. <laughs> I'm like, there's a difference between an American stout and a black IPA in my, but I do oh, like them. I do like them roasty. I like that roasty character and that the hop. So not all American stouts have that same characteristic. So I, I call it a different, but, but he, he killed, he still gives me a bad time about it, but I, um, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out. So, so I have the setup to be able to bottle after I keg. Mm-hmm. And if I can figure out how to do that and send you a black IPA after I make it yeah. the next time, I'm going to have to figure that out. I don't know how easy or difficult that is. And I don't know how well it's going to hold the carbonation because it's, you know, keg carbonated. Yeah. But I might have to do it uh, and then and get on a video chat with you and just watch you take that first sip and, and, <laughs> and just see the look on your face. Yeah. Well, or I can just come visit you in Washington. I, I used to come to Seattle twice a year. Uh, I, I haven't been back to Seattle for a couple of years now. So once this COVID thing mills out, once your schedule eases in and you're home uh, a little bit more often, we can uh, uh, meet up and go drink together. I would absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more question. And this one may or may, I don't think this one applies, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because you just signed up for untapped like yesterday. Okay. But, yeah, pretty much. But the question I always ask is there's a running thing with with the hosts and me is uh is how i rate my beers so i rate my beers based on the how i've the how the beer stands up to other beers of that style not necessarily how it follows the you know beer judging certification program but you know if i have a hazy ipa does this hazy ipa i rank that within hazy ipas that i've had and i'll give a rank that this is a five in in hazies but a five in hazy doesn't mean it's a five in black IPAs. You know, you know, the scales are different yeah. based on the style. So definitely. So, so that's how I rate. I rate it based on styles, but most people do it the wrong way. 
Oh, I don't want to, you know, make okay. you make you fall out of my way, but they they rate overall. So they rate a lager to an IPA to a stout all on the same scale. And which is fine because they they're basing it off their enjoyment overall for drinking the beer. So how do you rate your beers? Maybe not officially in Untapped, but in general, <laughs> when you say, oh, "Wow, this is a great beer," is that great beer great overall, or is it a great beer for the style you're drinking? So <clears throat> I was thinking about this. I was actually thinking about that conversation you had recently on the show <laughs> uh, when I was writing my very first beer, my, my and my only beer that I've rated on Untapped. Uh, I am not good at reviewing things. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel that is a strength I have. I do it for video games, but I don't think I'm good at it. <laughs> and so I was sitting there and I was like, okay, like I'm reading through these reviews that other people write and the, the way the flowery write up of how this part hits your nose <laughs> and how this part, and I'm just like, I, that's not how I drink. And don't be wrong. Like I enjoy mm -hmm. it in those ways, but like when I drink it, that's not necessarily what's going through my head. Mm -hmm. So to answer your actual question, um, I, I definitely think that rating it based on the style that it is and comparing it to other of those styles is important. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But if I'm just like, let's say I'm, I have a, a good friend of mine that, that's big in a beer and stuff like that. If he were to call me or, or if I were to call him and be like, Oh, you need to try this beer. I'm not going to be like, Oh, this beer is better than all these other hazies. And that's what makes it great. I'm going to be like, this is just a really good drinkable beer. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um, but if I'm trying to rate one, if I'm if I'm trying to do it, especially in an app, app like Untapped, which I have no idea if if my four bottle caps or whatever I gave it was was a, a good rating or or not, it's on my scale, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm going I'm going to try to do it based on on basing it against other ones of its same of its mm -hmm. same type, right? Because I mean, you gave a good a good argument for it says it's a stout and it's actually i don't know you name some other beer style or yeah, something like that yeah. and back and forth barley wine or something yeah yeah and, and i'm like yeah so like if, if it's claiming to be one thing and it's not then that's messed up because when you go to like oh, man, i'm really in the mood for such and such yeah. and you go grab that thing and you're like i want an ipa but this <laughs> is really more of just a pale ale mm -hmm. i mean you're going to be disappointed so yeah. you might as well rate things based on what they are so people can look in there like, oh, I'm actually getting what I'm looking for here. Yeah. Okay. You're you're correct. Is it time for another beer? It is. I, I'm yeah. actually about to open. Um, this Fat is Orange called. Yes. Yeah, so, so Fat Orange Cat is the brewery, which I don't know anything about them. I think uh, out of Connecticut. The, uh, yes. Yeah. I believe it is a, a New, England, New England IPA. Um, the beer is called, I don't like Mondays, which is why I chose to drink it. <laughs> so I had three in my, in my fridge. So I, I chose to drink this one. I don't like Mondays. <laughs> I, I don't like Mondays either. If you had a job like mine, you'd realize that days of the week don't mean anything. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm also ch changing up my beer. I'm going with a beer from a brewery right near you. Okay. Uh, which is my, which you probably heard me mention this brewery quite a few times. It's Ruben's brews, my favorite Seattle brewery. And this okay. is their Moorish, their Moorish IPA. And uh, I've mentioned this beer. It comes in a nice little 12 ounce can. I've mentioned this beer. I, I don't know if, remember if I mentioned on, on this show or the fermented reality beer cast show, but um, this beer, it's perfectly named because it, 
Moorish is I just want Moorish of this IPA every time I drink it. It's really, <laughs> it's really good. And it's a, it's not a hazy, it's a, you know, a West Coast uh, IPA and it's, it's really well done and got, has some great flavor. So that's, that's what I'm drinking now. Went, went away from the hazy and went into a, a more clear thing. So this one is also extremely clear. Yeah. Um, it has a really, really good smell to it, which I feel kind of like, um, like you see those like wine snobs that like, oh, I got to, and they yeah. you know, twirl it around. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law's fit into this uh, yeah. category. Oh, yeah. Anytime I smell a beer, like, oh, that's nice. I, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I want to let you know, Denny, mm-hmm. that I actually brought two cups up with me. Wow. Look at you. So that <laughs> I would get the full flavor of the other one. <laughs> I have a lot of beer glasses. Oh, yeah, I do too. I have, uh, yeah, I have a lot of beer glasses. In fact, the wife is uh, always upset when I get a new glass because I don't know where, have anywhere to put them. Oh, my yeah. wife just buys them for me because she oh, loves me. Well, that's awesome. Well, my wife buys them for me too, but then she realizes there's nowhere to put them. But I still collect them. <laughs> I love them. In fact, I'm drinking uh, right now out of my one of my favorite uh, Crux fermentation brewing. You can't really see the thing there; it's too bright. But it's Crux fermentation out of Bend, Oregon. You drink a you drink a a beer out of Bend earlier. I'm drinking out of a cup from Bend. See, we're all we're synced here. There we are. I'm, I'm actually we my my company has uh, some equipment in Bend that I keep hoping I'll get sent down to. I, I'm oh. sure I could just be like, hey, I want to go, and they'll just let me go down there with the guy that operates it because mm-hmm. why not? But I keep wanting to go down there, but I'm gonna kind of wait till things open up a little bit more and and. Uh, I can visit some of the breweries without as much worry. I'm going to show you the cup I'm drinking out of, but I'm going to wait till we get to our submarine conversation. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's move in. Let's continue. We, we finished your craft beer journey. That was a nice journey. I, I really, a little bit different than the other craft beer journeys I had, but similar. But every, I find that every craft beer journey is unique, right? We're, and, and I'm still on my craft beer journey and you're still on your craft beer journey. It never ends, right? You're always, it's always changing. We're always experiencing things like like beers that we had beers i had 20 years ago i could revisit and have a whole new experience because my palate has matured and i've you know things have changed and i might you know i found that i've enjoyed beers that i didn't like before as oh, definitely. i definitely so, so crafter journeys keep experiencing when i have you back on again we can talk about how it's expanded you know maybe after listening to the show of you know a few hundred and sixty episodes you'll Expand it even more and, and go and try beers that you never thought you'd try, like an Adam's beer from that last episode. But uh, now I, you've already mentioned a little bit about your home brewing, but I want to talk, you know, because we are a, a craft beer show and uh, I do enjoy hearing about people's home brewing experiences. So I want to dive in uh, to that a little bit. So the first question is the easy one. Uh, how long have you been home brewing? Ooh, I probably started around 2010-ish. Okay. Okay. So about 10 or 11 years. I, I don't remember exactly. I, I remember what was going on in my life, mm-hmm. but those three and a half years uh, kind of blend together. Yeah, yeah, okay. So for a while then, and um, what what made you jump into homebrewing? So uh, by the time I got out to, uh, this was during my second submarine. Mm-hmm. By the time I got out there, I was drinking a lot more uh, high-end beers, craft beers, stuff like that, uh, trying to get 
um, a, a lot more of these different ones. I, I'd gotten big into some ones in Texas and then I came back to Washington. I was getting big into uh, some of the ones out here in Washington. And I kept talking about it. My wife was very supportive of it. She's always been very supportive of my hobbies. Mm-hmm. And so I talked about it and whatever else, but you know, there's the whole getting into it. Like yeah. that is a, it's a decently big step and, and it's gotten easier now than it used to be. It was a decently big step. And I was at work one day I was, you know, on the submarine, I was at work. And one of the guys that I worked with was like, Hey, uh, I'm getting out of the hobby. I have this stuff. Mm. If you want it, you have to come by after work today and pick it all up. And I was like, okay. So I called my wife, like, look, I'm gonna be home late. <laughs> uh, and, and it wasn't that much out of the way, but it was going to add a good half hour or so to my yeah, commute, you know? Yeah. So I went there, I picked it up. He gave me a burner. Uh, he gave me, um, a, a few little things here and there. He gave me, t- uh, a few carboys for, for the, uh, fermentation. He gave me the pot and a few other stuff. And a lot of that stuff I have since changed out mm-hmm. or broken. <laughs> uh, I, I have exploded a carboy before. Oh, wow. Um, and, and, uh, but he gave it all to me and, you know, after, and there was a guy, another guy on the boat that was doing it some, and so I went over and did my first brew with him, which was like uh, the the I say the lowest level of brewing. That kind of sounds wrong because I mean <laughs> brew how you want to brew. Honestly, yeah, I, yeah. if you're brewing and you're happy with it, don't let me talk about it doing it one way or the other. But the the kind that's pure extract, like it's just you you add a can to boiling water and yeah. you let it boil and you put it in there and let it ferment. So I did one of those, and uh, you know I've I've had times where I've taken big breaks from it. But uh, I've been basically doing it ever since. Okay. Okay. So my next question, you already led into it perfectly. So are you strictly an extract brewer or have you switched to all grain? Yeah. So I, I moved up. I moved yeah. through the ranks, okay. if you will. Um, I, I started going to the partial mash, which is uh, for anyone out there who doesn't homebrew, you basically have um, the the syrupy stuff, which is basically a condensed beer that you have to boil in the water <laughs> but before you do that you have some specialty grains that give you a more distinct flavors here and there okay so i did that for a while uh and then there was another home brewer that i knew from uh, a church i was going to at the time and uh i'm over there with him and he's like yeah i used to do full i used to do all grain brewing but now it's just not worth it to me blah blah he's like here why don't you take this stuff and try it out and then he never asked for the stuff back so now i have all that stuff that he gave me as well mm. So uh, I, I now have a, an all grain, uh, I mean, the least expensive version of an all grain system, but I have an all grain system. And, all right. and, and, and honestly, I, I went to brew beer recently and I was going to get like the partial mash version. And the guy's like, look, you have everything. Why don't you take the all grain? It's, it's cheaper and it's better. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, good. Well, that's awesome. So I'm, man, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. You're impressing me. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about. Uh, your the first beer you brewed. Do you remember what it was and how it turned out? Uh, I mean, it it was effectively a Mister Beer type thing, right? <laughs> if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen the Mister Beer, it yeah. is it is the okay. Listeners out there, if you want to get someone into it and you want to give them kind of a silly gift, give someone the Mister Beer. It, it, it's fine. You could do a couple with it, but if you're serious about it, it's not going to last you long. Yeah. But it's effectively that, and I, I don't remember what it was. I, I'm sure it was a pale ale or or something, um, okay. so, something pretty easy. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, it's 
just pouring, you know, this syrup into effectively boiling water and letting it boil in some hops for a while. So it was nothing impressive. Okay. It was drinkable, but wasn't like, like your golden grail of, uh, of, of beer, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it was definitely someone else's uh, making of a mass quantity. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, how, so how, about how many batches have you brewed over the last 10 years then? Oh, God. So for a while, my goal was to have two on tap and two fermenting. Nice. Wow. That's nice. And yeah, well, I had a, um, when, when I lived in Washington, I was doing it. The weather was right so that in the summer I could leave it fermenting in the garage and the temperature was good in the winter. I could do it in this like downstairs basement type bathroom. <laughs> uh, when I moved to Texas, I had to do a lot more temperature control, which is something mm-hmm. I'm having to work with again. It's caused me a few problems, but I had a box freezer that I could fit two carboys in. Mm. So I would just always have one ready to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then later on, I moved to a better thing, which was like a, a refrigerator with a temperature controller on it that I, you know, hacked into the wiring and everything yeah. to make. So yeah, my, my goal was always to have though two on tap and one ready. So there was times when I was brewing every other week. Uh, and then I'd have to wait, you know, depending on, on what my setup was, how many other people were coming over, drink my beer, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I took about a year and a half, two years off when I was moving from Texas back to Washington and getting everything set back up. And I just got back into it again, mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago. But uh, yeah, I, I brewed a lot. Yeah, that's no. I'm like I said. I thought you were going to come on and say oh, I brewed a couple batches here, or there, and you know. But I'm I'm you're impressing me. You've got like real gear and multiple type of uh, uh, co- you know ways of fermenting your beers and in a uh, drop cooler and a refrigerator and everything else. I'm, hey, that's that's impressive. That's good. Yeah, it, it is. It is definitely the rig it yourself. Uh, setup that I have, but, and I don't have all of it now from the move, but when I did, I mean, I could, I could do ales, I could do loggers, yeah. I could do any of it. And, uh, I only exploded a carboy once. Okay. And it was probably an old carboy that was about ready to burst anyway. No. <laughs> so, so the, the, the fridge that I had it in, I, I use a different type of, um, stopper at the top, uh, as far as the airlock, right? And... <laughs> It was fermenting like crazy, so it got clogged, mm. and there was a a shelf in the fridge that was resting just above the the airlock, and so when the pressure got so high, normally, worst case scenario, it shoots the stopper out and makes a mess. Well, I went out to my garage one day, and the fridge door was open. There was beer going all down the middle of my garage, and there was big chunks of glass. I have a picture <laughs> of this somewhere. It, it it would not let it eject the stopper wow. and it just exploded. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's some thick glass in those carboys. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. That's impressive. You made a good beer right there. <laughs> Too bad it, it's all over I, I the garage. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you mentioned that you're getting back in and, and we kind of, uh, a, a few weeks ago, we discussed that you are brewing a new beer. In fact, you want to talk about the, I mean, I'm hoping the new beer that you're brewing is turning out and and you're because you're going to do a video on it, right? So yeah, talk about it. So so I, I've already filmed it all. I, I need to film an ending to it again. Um, so I brewed three beers since I started back up. 
Uh, I finally was able to get everything set back up and everything. Um, my first one was an IPA off of a recipe that I made that did not turn out well. And I don't know if it was an older version of the recipe that I, that I found, or if I had some contamination, whatever it turned out terribly. Mm. I still drank it. <laughs> I, I, I then made a, a, a stout that turned out okay. And then the, the brew place that I go to, to, to get my ingredients, but it sent out an email for a horchata stout. Mm. Now, I've never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. Horchata apparently is a, a Mexican drink of some sort that has milk and cinnamon and maybe mm-hmm. vanilla. Uh, and I was like, well, I, I guess I got to try it because I love, I love milk stouts. And it actually it turned out really, really well. Oh. Uh, I, I filmed a video of everything but pouring the grains in because I hit the wrong button and just took a picture as I was pouring grains in. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it, it, it turned out well, I I would have liked to have let it sit a little bit longer, but my schedule, I'm two weeks home, two weeks away, two weeks home, two weeks away. So I basically let it set for about two and a half weeks in the, in the primary and then, uh, and then put it in the keg. Uh, I I'm drinking it quite a bit and I'm, I'm enjoying it. It doesn't have as strong of a taste as I was kind of hoping it would. Like it's a, it's a good milk stout with a little bit of cinnamon flavor in it right like it's not i I would have liked a little bit more cinnamon and i should have added in some vanilla but i wasn't properly prepared and it wasn't part of the original recipe so i think if i ever make this again i will go more cinnamon more vanilla and, and and make it a a more of a a standout beer besides just a a good milk stout that mm-hmm. has a little bit of something extra yeah no no that that's uh that's the key to all, you know, cooking, whether you're cooking beer or cooking food, right? You, you follow the directions and see how it turns out for a baseline, right? You got to have a control. And then sure. you think about, okay, this is how this turned out. Now, how can I amp it up a little bit to get some more flavors that I want out of it? So you're all prepared for the next one to be like, you know, better than this one. And maybe that next one will will get you to think about how you want to do the next one. And, and before you know it, you're going to have this, this killer Haracha stout. So, so here's the problem with this. And something I've actually been thinking and looking into a lot lately is, you know, a brew day is a long day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of cleaning ahead of time. It's a lot of prep work. And then it's a lot of cleaning afterwards. And I, I've been able to streamline it to an extent where I do a lot of the cleaning while the last part of the process is happening, but it's still five, six hour day. And if you have someone else with you and you're both drinking and having a good time, nothing. (laughs) But when you're doing it by yourself, or or my kids like going in, my kids both love the smell of of beer cooking. Oh, nice. Oh, they they absolutely love it. So so they pop in a lot when I'm brewing. Um, But if you're doing it by yourself, it's a long day. Yeah. And something I would like to do is is some experimentation, some you know trying new things, trying some things that are extreme, trying some things that are out there, or just or just trying to take a recipe and and make it perfect. And I've been looking into these like brewing systems where I could, you know, more easily just, just make my own recipe, mm-hmm. put it in, hit start, let it do its thing, makes two, two and a half gallons, something like that, which isn't, you know, that's enough if you're just experimenting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but man, these things just, they're, they're, they're not there yet. Oh, it, okay. It, so, okay. The ones that are there are expensive. Yeah, like the one I want <laughs> is like $2,500. Yeah, I know. That's the one I want too. <laughs> Um, so that one I want, but the, the step back from that, which is like with everything I'd want, including the still, uh, is about a thousand dollars, which I could, 
I, I, I could justify that. I could like put the money away to, to get there and stuff like that if I wanted to, but you don't have as much freedom with your, um, with your recipes. Yeah. And so that doesn't do me a lot of good if I want to use it for the purpose of, you know, perfecting a beer. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I, I've been looking at, uh, at all kinds of brewing systems. And if any of your listeners out there have any suggestions on, you know, I've been looking at like the Grainfather, and there's like a, uh, a, a brew and mash or, or, or mash and something. I don't know. There's a number of these like electric brew systems out there. Mm-hmm. If anyone out there who listens to the show is, is a home brewer and has a recommendation, uh, I, I will make sure you know how to hit me up because I, I, I'm looking for these things. I'm looking for ways to consolidate space, but still make a good product. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, my friend Alex in Israel, uh, when he was here in Boise with, with me, he bought a electric brew system where basically you do the the mash and everything in, in one, right? You set the water to mash, the, it cooks away. And then at a certain time, you, you know, you lift it up, all the stuff goes mm-hmm. in and you, you take the grains out and you, you go and, you know, add more. And he took that system to Israel with him. We went back to Israel and he's making some really good beer out of it. I don't remember which one, but it might be one of the ones you named. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, but, but it works pretty good. But I mean, it is electric. So you have to, you, you have to like plan it out where you get up. If you get up early, you get, you, you know, you set the water going. He had a timer so that it would start the water before he got home. And by the mm-hmm. time he got home from work, he would then be able to finish off the brew and then get it all done before, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I mean, he he had a system and he was brewing a bunch of beers. He had four four taps on his beer fridge and, uh, and you know, he's constantly like you. He's constantly brewing beers and, and drinking it and giving it away so he can brew another batch. And, and he's making some really good beers. It's three-legged crow uh, brewing in Israel. Now he's back mm. in Israel, but uh, yeah, so there are some systems out there. So yeah, any listeners out there, uh, send, uh, you can send it to Johnny when we, when we give Johnny's, uh, his, uh, you know, contact information at the end of the show or send it to me and I'll get it to Johnny so he can, you know, experiment with some of these other systems. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of, um, you know, you're leading into my last question on homebrewing when you said that, uh, you know, that experimentation uh of beers and such so have you ever joined a home brewing club uh where you can you know exp- you know talk to ex- other home brewers and people that have been brewing for years and years and get some ex- experience from them and and some ideas i i haven't uh and i definitely need to you know one one of the biggest issues i've had brewing is is having the community Right. And, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong. It's all on me. The community's out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I've had some friends that are into beer. I've had some friends into home brewing. I have always had a weird schedule. Even when I was in Texas, I was working like a rotating shift work. And so a lot of times I brew, you know, early ish morning during the week when everyone else is at work. Yeah. Right. So trying to find people to get together with and do these things and, and whatever. So I, I need to, I, I need to find that group. I need to, um, I need to find people that when I make the beer, I can share the beer with mm-hmm. because five gallons of the same beer means I need to make beer that I'm going to enjoy five gallons of Yeah. instead of I need to make beer that I can have fun with. And I know people out there will try it and consume that five gallons and then I can make the next thing. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, I, I know that there's some great home brewing clubs in Seattle area 
I know you're just north of Seattle, but I'm sure that even where you're at, uh, there's some great homebrewing clubs. And it's a way to get out there. And uh, if there's a meeting or whatever while you're home, get out there and meet some new people and, and drink with others, uh, like-minded uh, individuals. And there's probably former military you know, submariners oh, out I'm there. Sure. Yeah, because uh, it's a it's a whole military area in that whole Seattle Sound area. So you'll find some people. Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not that far from Everett where there's a big old base. Yeah. So I have to tell you. Yeah. This uh I don't love Mondays or I don't like Mondays from uh from Fat Orange Cat. If you don't like Mondays, this is a good beer to drink. <laughs> because it, it's not quite a session IPA, okay. but it, it but kind of like how we talked about with the with the New England ones, it's it's not a uh a punch you in the face type thing. Um at seven and a half percent. I could probably still put back a few of these until I started dropping the glass. <laughs> Two, maybe three. Well, you're probably build your tolerance up pretty good now. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I what, so so I travel a lot for work, and I'm gone for weeks at a time. For a long time, I wouldn't drink at all because when I'm gone, I'm on call twenty four seven. Oh, okay. And I might not work at all that week, but I'm always on call. Okay. And so I have to be. I have to be careful. I, I have started, you know. Uh, visiting you know getting some beers and or having a bottle of liquor in my hotel room just to have something to help me fall asleep at night and stuff yeah, like that but yeah. it, my tolerance definitely is not what it used to be yeah yeah no my i've uh i've slowed down on my drinking not that i was ever a heavy drinker but um you know you'll find out when you get up in age but as soon as you hit over 50 uh, your body is fighting against you thinking you're still 21 or 23. And, uh, and I just, uh, you know, my wife said, Hey, just maybe you need to slow down. And so I, I've slowed down my drinking and it's, it wasn't uncommon for I, I drink three to four beers a night uh, after work. Just, I enjoy beer and, and they just, I, I go drink one and I want another one. And before you know it, four beers are down and that's a little bit too much. So now I limit it to, uh, no more. Usually, unless I'm recording, like tonight, I'll have three beers. But normally, it's just two beers a night, and then sometimes I won't drink at all on a night, just because you know it's it's a little bit better. So my my tolerance has probably come down, but I don't feel it's come down. Like the other, like Saturday, um, wife wanted uh, some Moscow mules, and I'm a I'm a sucker for a good Moscow mule. I love I love ginger <laughs> beer, strong ginger beer, and. The best ginger beer, in my opinion, is right there in Washington from Port Angeles. Bedford's okay. ginger beer. Have you had Bedford's? I don't think so. I think I've only ever had one ginger beer ever. Oh. And it, you know what? It might have been that because it was a lo- it was in like the local section of the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Port the, the Bedford's is the best, and it, I mean you have to like ginger. And I'm a I'm a huge ginger fan. My wife and I just will eat ginger by itself. We just love it. That's and this a little is too much for me, but I yeah, like it. It's a strong ginger beer, and that's what that's what makes a perfect Moscow Mule. Is that you know you have that that vodka, but you have that ginger beer that just has that punch in it. So she wanted she wanted a Moscow Mule, so I made her. I made you know two Moscow Mules for each of us. So I had you know two Moscow Mules. You know it wasn't super strong, but it was mostly just you know ice and then uh, you know vodka and a little bit of bin ginger beer but you know i had two of those and i'm like wow i don't even feel anything so then i had to chase a couple beers down with it too I so mean, <laughs> so maybe maybe my tolerance is still up there but uh i mean it should be lower 
Yeah. I mean, my, my normal nightly routine is probably two beers from my tap. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have something in the fridge, maybe, or if it's one comes over, it's a different story, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two, two beers from my tap, which are normally around five to 6%. So nothing super heavy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I drink those and I, but I, I, you know, I drink beer because I enjoy beer. Yeah. Me right? too. Like, yeah. I, like a light buzz is obviously enjoyable, but I, I don't like being drunk. Um, so those two beers, I might stretch out over a few hours time and just slowly drink them, which is a nice thing about beers that you can drink when they get a little bit warmer, where the flavors start really coming out of them at, at a little bit warmer temperature, because you can drink it slowly and you just kind of, you know, the flavor evolves as you're drinking it. Like this horse shot of stout, mm-hmm. when you first get out of the tap at, you know, whatever, whatever the temperature of my, yeah. my kegerator set at right now, it, it, it's Okay. But as you let it warm up a little bit, you really start getting the full yeah. flavors of it. Yeah. And it's a lot better beer. Yeah, of course. Of course. Because for one thing, the whole science behind cold beer is if, it, if the beer is too cold, then it numbs your taste buds. Yeah. And so as you take that sip, that coldness, every all your taste buds collapse back on themselves and you only get the full flavor of it. Once it warms up, now your taste buds are out there dingling and you're like, ooh, this is good. And you're getting all that extra flavor from it. Plus, you know, it as it warms, you're going to get more of the richness and complexity is going to come out because it's not being, you know, subdued. So. so so one big thing that came with, you know, when I started home brewing is I started like, reading a lot of books about different styles, books about tasting beers, mm-hmm. all, all this stuff. And, and the two biggest things that I learned – you know, that, that a lot of people will sit there and be like, you know, think it should be one way. It turns out it, it's wrong is one. I used to keep mugs in the freezer oh, to yeah. pour beers into. Yeah. And if you're drinking a Budweiser, do it. Yeah. Do yourself yeah. a favor. <laughs> freeze the shit. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but if you're drinking a good beer, you know, don't do that. And also try to drink it at the temperature it should be drank at, which yeah. I, I'm never going to call someone out for drinking a beer that's too cold. I'm not going to be like, you know, sucker or anything like that. But like <laughs> drink drink a beer the temperature you're supposed to drink at and you can really taste it better. Mm-hmm. The other thing uh, and, and something I still have conversations with people about is when you pour a beer, pour it straight down the middle of the cup. Don't pour it down the side, whatever. So if you go to a bar and your bartender is pouring down the, the middle and you're getting that foam and then you know, obviously top it off to make sure it's right – they're not screwing you. They're doing it proper. And mm-hmm. and the key is, uh, and something I never thought, and this is particular with IPAs, I, I, I would say, but you know other beers as well, is you're getting the aroma from it, and so much of your you know taste comes from your nose. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, when, when you start to do home brewing, and you start to really look into things, you learn a lot that just like blows your mind and opens your eyes. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's great to uh, yeah. Your nose provides a big portion of your f- taste, and you're right. Um, you got to have some head because that retains some. Because what's happening is those carbonation bubbles are bringing up all the flavors out of that beer, and if it just goes out into no head, they're they're evaporating. The head holds those in and and keeps those flavors. So as you bring your nose up, you're going to be able to really get a a good you know puff of that uh of that uh, aroma and enhance that flavor of more so yeah we we talk about that on the show in the early in the early seasons of uh tap to craft about how to why it's important to pour your beer into a glass which i noticed two glasses you've used that's that's great and uh 
you know, not only does it allow the beer to breathe, but it also allows a head to form, which does what you just said, you know, you know, makes it makes the whole experience better. And the presentation is nice, too. Sure. I mean, it, it's nice to get a, a bartender that will fill your glass all the way to the top because, you know, you're getting more beer at the top. But the problem is, is that it's, it becomes flat too quick, right? Because there's nothing trapping those bubbles in there and the bubbles leave. And now, you know, you lost some of that effervescence that you need to have to really enjoy that beer. Definitely. All right, Johnny, are you ready to get off of the, some, you know, let the beer talk uh, settle a little bit and get, you know, get into your podcasting uh, roots. Are you ready for that? Sure. All right. So now we're going to talk about your podcast. Radio is lame. And this is for all of our listeners out there who haven't had a chance to go out and listen to Johnny's podcast. Um, I, first off, I'm just going to say this first off, uh, before I start drilling with questions, I want to let you and all of our listeners know that I personally love your podcast. I have listened to every episode and even some of oh, them, wow. uh, some of them twice. And I might even go back and listen to them a third time because you have some great content out there. And uh, I, I mean, I want to try to interview you and allow our listeners to get an idea of what you do. So that's what this segment's all about is to just talk about Radio is Lame, find out um, you know, how, you know, why I was, and, and I think many other listeners probably too, are drawn into your conversations because I really appreciate the insight that is provided by all these media creators that you interview, uh, you know, because I'm a media creator and, uh, and I'm always, I'm a creative person. And, and I know you, you, you mentioned earlier that, that the, that the military and the Navy kind of crushed your creativity. Um, it does, it, it does, it does try to crush that creativity, but you know what, once you get out and you can get that creativity back, um, I'm always, I'm a very creative guy. I'm always working to try to create something, whether it's a podcast, video, art, um, you know, recreating, uh, you know, models of, of military things or whatever. I mean, I do a lot of different things outside of this podcast, and I'm drawn to that create creative side of me. So when I listen to you interview all these different people, it's very fascinating for me. So let's get started with the interview. First off, I've got to ask you, um, so you started a podcast called Radio is Lame. Uh, let's let our listeners know what the main focus of the show is and why you started it up. Okay, so so to understand that, I, I will give the the briefest synopsis of okay. my my podcasting history leading up to it. Okay, good idea. That's another question I had. So go ahead and lead up. Okay, to it. so so I discovered podcasts uh, maybe a little bit late um, compared to some people, and I'm I'm big into video games. I love video games, so I was looking for a different video game podcast, whatever. Mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine who's big into video games, so he and I are like, let's do it, and, and so we started doing it. And it was terrible. Like the content wasn't necessarily terrible, but the, the creation of it and, and, you know, we were starting on a very slim budget because I wasn't sure if it was going to last and all mm-hmm. these different things. Right. So then I found this guy named Sean Capri. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, you can look up Sean Capri. He has a, an amazing interview show, especially if you're in any kind of video game stuff. But uh, I went on his podcast and he and I started talking. And from there, I had a few people reach out to me. And one of them was my good friend now, Dave Moore. 
So Dave and I decided to start making stuff. So we had a video game podcast for a while about old video games that had been sitting on our shelves. We did that for a while. Uh, we tried doing a three-day-a-week morning show for a while. That was a lot of fun. It was always live. About two people listened to it live every time. <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of fun. We had all kinds of topics. And, and talk, about, talk about trying to pull stuff out of a hat to fill up stuff because mm -hmm. neither of you are prepared but want to have a random conversation. That's what that show was. And eventually we're like, we want to do something different. We want to do something where we are talking about content creating because there's a million video game shows out there. There's a million politics shows. There's a million news shows. And mm -hmm. it's like, and we know about these things, but is that really what we know the best? And is there really a market for that as much? We're like, we're going to do a show about creating shows. So half the show that we started it was show ideas we had and like bouncing these things off and the most ridiculous stuff came out of this and we were getting uh we were getting to a point where we were going to have a couple guests on because they were putting a, uh, their show on a hiatus and i wanted to talk to them about knowing when that time is mm, yeah and as it was coming up i was having these ideas of how i wanted to talk to him and what i wanted to ask him and all that stuff and i'm like i was like but there's going to be two of us and as much as I love podcasting with with Dave, I was there's that part of me is like, but we're we're not going to see things the same way, mm -hmm. right? So we we did that show and it was it was great, uh, and we did one more and then he had to put a hard stop on all content creating for a while. So I was like, look, do you mind if I keep the show going and change it into this new thing? Okay, because I love doing that and I love meeting new people and I love talking to people and if I have one skill. <laughs> if I have any skill out there, it's that I can talk to somebody, mm -hmm. right? And the the idea of the show was already there. And I don't know that the original episodes are still up on the feed or not, but no, they're not. The original <laughs> the original idea was that you know that we're talking about content creating. So my idea was, why don't I bring people on that have something to say, something that people can learn from? Um, like one of my earlier guests, like his sound quality was on point. And so I wanted to have him come on and talk about sound quality. I had a guest come on and talk about making a new show. I had a, a guest come on and talk about inspiring others. Um, and so I, I just wanted to have people come on and talk about these things. And then from there, the conversation can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I had a starting point and an idea of what I wanted to talk about. And uh, sadly, I'm on about a two-year hiatus right now because <laughs> – when you're gone 50 to 60% of the year, it's hard to tell your family, I'm sorry, three days, three, three or four nights the week, uh, you know, three or four nights of the 14 nights I'm home, I'm going to be busy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've been on a bit of a hiatus, but it, it was, it was great. And I got to meet some great people. You know, I met people that, that were, you know, had 15, 20 listeners to their show and then i met people who had been on tv mm -hmm. on gaming you know tv shows in canada mm -hmm. um you know youtubers podcasters i had a musician lined up at one time it fell through sadly but uh it, it was just great and i would write down about three notes of stuff to, to try to keep myself semi on track and i would just talk to him for an hour and it's i would say it's one of the greatest things i've ever done yeah yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty special. I, I have to admit, I've already kind of mentioned that I, that I'm really drawn to it. So, how did you come up with the name? What is the story behind Radio Is Lame? So, Radio Is Lame is maybe the lamest uh, story <laughs> of how you came up with the. So, 
Okay, so there's a couple things you got to know about me. One is I love podcasts. I love talking to people and stuff like that. Two is I love Zach Braff. If okay. Zach Braff makes a thing, a TV show, a movie, something like that, I'm going to watch it, and odds are I'm going to love it. So Zach Braff had a TV show called Alex Inc. It lasted a whole 10 episodes. So real winner. I loved it. The rest of America <laughs> did not. But it was about a guy who, who was leaving the radio business, got kicked out of it, something, and started a podcast company. And so when Dave and I were making our show, we didn't want to make it a a Alex Inc. podcast because we didn't know how long the show was going to last. I had a feeling it wasn't going to it wasn't going to last as, as, as much as I love everything that Zach Braff does. Um, but we wanted to every episode we would take like a lesson he learned on the show and we would apply that into what we were talking about. And somewhere in the first episode, he says radio is lame. Ah. And and so Dave threw that out there for a name, and I'm like, I'm like that's great. Here's the problem: if you search "radio is lame" in your in your favorite podcast app, there's a good chance I will be the fourth or fifth podcast down the list, even if you type in exactly the name of my show. <laughs> why is the that? first one? Uh, I, I I don't remember why some of the other ones are ahead of mine, but there's definitely one called "Radio Islam." Oh, which is not the same thing that I do. <laughs> I'm all down for Radio Islam. I've never listened to it. If you do, great. And if that's your thing, that's awesome. But that's not what I do. Yeah. And it's missing an E. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Well, good Good story. Okay. So now I know where the, the name came from. Now, you provide an intimate setting, just you and the guest, almost always with video on, from what I understand, just by listening. So you can... Yeah. So you. And I found that you've cued off of the reactions of your guests. Um, is this easy for you to be able to establish that connection with guests uh, where there might be the it might be the first time that you've ever spoken to them, or is it is it difficult? I, I, okay, Here, so a, a few things on that. Um, one, when you go when you are hosting a show and you don't know the guest, and all you maybe know about them is, is some of their work. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're getting into. Yeah. And I've had some guests that I hop on a call with and I'm like, boy, did I make a mistake? <laughs> and I've had other guests that I that I hop in with and I'm like, are we best friends now? Yeah. Maybe we are. Yeah. Right. Um, most of my guests were great. Um, as far as like reading off reactions, I I I'm the kind of person who I see the I see life as as a I don't say a bad sitcom, but as, as a kind of a a, a silly sitcom, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I don't know if you're a, fran a fan of Scrubs, bring back Zach Braff here, but mm -hmm. the, the TV show Scrubs will, will have those moments where it's like, oh, it hit me like a ton of bricks and he'll look over and a ton of bricks fall on the guy. <laughs> and that's kind of like how I see life. And so if I see something someone does or if I see the reaction someone's make, my mind instantly goes to something related to that. Um, I'm not going to say it always works in my favor. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people look at me like I'm stupid, mm -hmm. but – I think in this setting, when you come to sit there and you come to talk to someone, I, I'm able to, uh, I'm, I'm able to play off what they do, basically bring myself wherever I'm at to write to their level, you know. So, so we've had shows that are super clean, super PC, all that stuff, and then we have shows where we talk about someone being offered uh, favors in the men's room by someone doing a lot of drugs, mm -hmm. you know. And and whatever route they go. I just kind of like zone myself into like their spot mm -hmm. and we ride that wave to the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. It works. So. It works. So um, 
my next question you you kind of already answered but i wanted to i mean have you ever not reached equilibrium or a certain comfort level with a guest and you kind of already mentioned that that there are some that that just didn't work now did you actually end up posting those uh i posted everything everything so even if you didn't reach equilibrium you still felt it was worthy of posting so it's not as much worthy I, okay, I, I will say that there was one or two shows that I've done, and, and there's one that pops in my head specifically that I'm obviously not going to name, but no, no. where where it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Okay, right. The the reason I had the person on, the reality was not where I thought it was, and it was hard to get the person to to really talk much. It was hard to get the person like engaged. It, it, it just wasn't work. And funny enough, you're talking about video and not video. I always prefer video. Yeah. Although one of my best episodes, I think, was with Scott C. Jones, and there was not video. He did not have his video on. Um, but but like this guy didn't have his video on because of of his situation uh, of where he was having to be at the time. And, and you mix that with the fact that it wasn't what I was hoping for, and it was just not good. But if I ask someone to be on, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, I want to talk to you for this reason, that person is then expecting that their story is going to be told. Yeah. And I feel it would kind of be wrong to be like, oh man, uh, sorry, you sucked as a guest. I'm not going to air this. Right. And, you know, I, I mentioned my friend Sean Capri a little bit ago. Uh, Cause he does a show that is, I don't say similar. Like there's definitely certain things I took from his show when I started doing what I was doing. Uh, and he and I, every once in a while I'll talk and, and th- he's definitely messaged me before and been like, man, this was not, what I thought it was going to be like, I would not have maybe had this cast if it was this thing. Right. And yeah. It doesn't happen very often because if you are, I don't say you're good at all. Cause that kind of sounds kind of arrogant on my part. And I, and I'm, I don't really think I'm not someone who thinks like, Oh, I'm so awesome. But, but like if, if talking to people is, it was one of your strong suits mm-hmm. for the most part, you can make it work for the most part. You can find that thing. You can, you can figure out that question to ask that, that that brings out that little bit of humor or yeah. or insight or something like that, yeah. and so m- most of the time I'm I'm happy at the end of it, and there's just every once in a while you're not, and and then you have some guests. So there's one there's one that I really liked, um, and, and I think you commented a, a little bit to me at one point, and I actually really enjoyed the guest. I don't know how well it came across in uh, production because he was very very soft spoken, mm-hmm. but that's just how he is. He's just a soft-spoken guy, but he cracks me up. So I don't know. You just kind of roll with it and play with it, and and uh, you you put it out even if it's bad because everyone's got bad episodes every now yeah. and then. Oh yeah, no, no. It, even honestly, even the the one episode that I I didn't like as much as the others was still worthy of listening to. So uh, I think you're doing. I think I I want to see you be able to come back and restart this this podcast if that's is is in the in the works you know if if things do work out and you're able to do it i'd love to see it back because not only did i learn things that that helped me uh with my content creation but i also learned of some new podcasts that i hadn't heard of before and i wouldn't have gone and seen and 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 subscribed and listened to uh you know i'm gonna say uh heavily pixelated was one that uh I mean, yeah, Scott Jones right there. Yeah, you 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 already mentioned him, and I went after that episode. I went and subscribed, and I downloaded a couple 
ones that I, you know, I, I wanted to see what it was like because it, it, it intrigued me. And then I was captured by it and I had to download everything he did because these stories are so powerful. I mean, the stuff he, yeah. that he's doing just blew my mind that he was able to capture these people at their weak points and at times when they were, you know, struggling and found something that brought them back, you know, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. So, so yeah, I hope you can continue doing this. Now, how do you cho- go about choosing your your guests when you when you get a guest? Is it strictly by uh, by you finding people you like or people recommending guests to you? So it, it, this is actually the hardest part of doing a show like that. Um, so as it started out, I knew enough people that I had contact with enough that I that I had a thing about them specifically that I liked that I was able to call upon them and they were happy to come on. Mm-hmm. And my hopes was they had a big enough audience and I, I don't ever like to reach out to someone. And, and I always tell them like, look, I want you to come on the show. I want you to tell your story. You don't have to tell your listeners about this if you don't want to, because I'm not trying to ride your coattails, mm-hmm. yeah. but maybe you do tell them maybe more <laughs> people listen and it, maybe it makes an impact where I can get more guests on there because yeah. getting guests is hard on something like that. And I, that was one of the, the more difficult parts later on. And I would do these shout outs and, and that's how, you know, you and I came in contact with mm-hmm. Matt Knight, mm-hmm. um, uh, put me in touch with you. And he's, he's actually a really good one. This guy, Paul Lloyd, who, who often will recommend people to me. Uh, but the problem is, is then I reach out to him and they're like, I don't know who this Johnny casino guy is, right? Like, why do I want to be on his show? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, you face a lot of that. And if I could do it consistently, I'm sure it would be a lot easier. Now, there's been a couple of big guests that I've had. I've had a couple of like full-time streamers. Um, and then I had Scott C. Jones that we already mentioned. But And by the way, when I got done with that interview with him, I have never been so inspired in my life. Mm. And, th- and that's like, like, yeah, I'm glad people got to hear that. I'm glad I got to make something people could hear. But man, did, I have never felt so good as when I talked to that man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had him and Victor Lucas, who is a relatively big name in, in certain circles. And those were because I knew someone who knew someone, right? Like mm-hmm. people put like Scotty Jones put me in contact with Victor Lewis, Lucas, the mega dads who I do a lot of stuff with now put me in contact with Scotty Jones. Um, but it's gotten, it's gotten harder and harder and harder. And, and the, the longer I take a hiatus, the the harder it gets. Because you start running out of these people you that you know, and don't get me wrong, every third person has a podcast, mm-hmm. but not every third person has a podcast and can teach someone and, and, and can say something worthwhile for the purpose that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it, it, it's tough, man. It, it's tough. And sometimes I've gone months reaching out to people and not heard back from anyone, and I'm like, why do I even try? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So – when you do find a guest that wants to come on the show, how do you prepare for that guest? Is it, I mean, you already mentioned, you know, you kind of mentioned that you, if you, you feel lucky if you get three notes just to try to like spawn the conversation and just go for it off the cuff. But is that literally all you do is, is just find, try to find just one nugget of thing that you want to kind of cue off of and, and build that show off of? Uh, so, so the first thing I look at is like, what is the what is the lesson that is to be learned, mm-hmm. right? So, um, 
I, I had one guy on because they had basically made their podcast into an LLC. And I'm like, I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Wherever else it goes, great. But I'd already known of this guy for a while. I'd already talked to him before. I had listened to his stuff before. I've had some streamers on that I wanted to talk to about how to make it full time, how to mm-hmm. how to go full time in this thing. And I'd maybe seen like one or two of their streams ever. <laughs> and so I try to, in the days leading up, consume as much of their content as possible. And then I try to just, I, I jot down probably four or five notes. It's with me, I can write down four or five questions. And I know that this question is going to spawn a thing that mm-hmm. that they're going to say that's going to trigger a question that I'm going to have mm-hmm. that's going to lead way off the tracks. Because if there's anything I'm good at, it's it's steering a train off its tracks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And then I try to wrap back around because there's certain questions I do want answered. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I write down like four questions. Yeah. I, I'll show people before I start. I'll be like, look, a couple of things before I start. <laughs> uh, I started recording the second we uh, we came on the call. If there's anything you want cut, let me know it's cut too. <laughs> These are the notes I have. Here's all four of them. Um, we're going to go wherever we want to go. All right. So, and I've only, I think I've only cut things out of a conversation one time because someone asked me to. Okay. No, I, I definitely see that in your, in your show that, that you definitely can, uh, can try to go in one direction, but when the, the conversation all of a sudden takes a 180, you 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 fall right along with it and just care, you know continue on down that that rabbit hole, which is fun, right? Because you don't know where it's going to lead, and that and it can lead to something that w- is spectacular, which is which is nice and unexpected. So, no, I appreciate I appreciate your ability to do that, and that's why I had these questions. I want to find out exactly the way you you thought, and uh, now I know. Okay. The, the the really fun part about that is editing. So I when I edit that show, I edit with a fine tooth comb, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I I record on two separate tracks so I can control their volume and my volume. I can try to but the the times when one person's saying something and it triggers something in me and there's I, I try not to interrupt, but you have those moments where like they say something and you need to touch on that point right away. Yeah. Right. You need yeah. to steer them in that direction right away. And so like there's those points where I have to cut this stuff out. And then you have those like weird, awkward points where you're like, okay, this does need to be cut out. Mm-hmm. So editing those shows will take me two or three times as long as recording them because I would just listen through mm-hmm. and cut and mm-hmm. scoot. And then I have to find the funny stuff. Yeah. And if you ever listen to the show, I I, I take the kind of the B-roll, the, the ridiculous things they say, and I stick them at the beginning, the beginning. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a good time, man. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, it's a fun show. And uh, all my listeners out there, um, look up Radio Islam, not Radio Islam. Radio Islam with Johnny Casino. Uh, it's true. He hasn't released an episode in, well, it's in about a year two and a, years. Probably about now. two years, but it doesn't matter. All the content is still very well. I mean, it's, it's something you can listen to and, and get something out of. And Johnny, I'm really hoping that you are able to start up in 2021. And uh, if you do remember, I'm on your. I was supposed to be on one of your shows oh. uh, a, a a year ago. So <laughs> you, you you will you will definitely be in the first batch. If I go back to it the way I've been doing it, which has been like six to ten episode seasons, uh, you will definitely be in that first batch. Okay, and hopefully after tonight, you've gotten uh, more insight into me, and you can uh, you know probe your four questions so we can get into a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's all I'm going to grill you, Johnny, for now. 
But first, uh, before we get into the next section, I always want to thank our Patreon supporters because this episode is brought to you in part by our satisfied Patreon supporters like Mike Allen, William Slimmer, who are our virtual producers, Tom Byrne, Jeff Seiler, Johan Halberg, Tara Carlson, Chad Lamassa, Mark Church, and Mark and Kirk Tabor, uh, who also want to buy us a virtual beer. And if you enjoy the content we provide, and you can tell I've probably had a couple beers that I'm starting to slur my words. Uh, we <laughs> invite you to support the show by toasting your host or buying us a virtual beer or even becoming a virtual producer. You can explore the options on our support page by visiting patreon.com slash tap the craft. All right. And we do have some great Patreon supporters. Now, side, you know, I, I just started this Patreon support just a few months ago. And um, I always wanted to provide my podcast for free. But you know what? Hosting and all this stuff, it costs money. And I was lucky enough to be supported by Open Forum Radio for many years. And and they would still support me. But that network is kind of like slowing down. So I decided that that Chris and I want to do some new things. So we wanted to have our own website, our own hosting. And, And I thought, you know, People would keep bugging me about, hey, if you have a Patreon, I'd support. And I decided, you know what? Let's just see if they will. And I was honestly humbled by literally I put the Patreon on. In less than an hour, I had my first Patreon supporter putting the Patreon just like live. And then within the first week, I had seven supporters. And that just, uh, you know, makes me feel uh, special because uh, I do this because I just – it's a it's a release for me. It helps me with my creative uh, uh, ness that I need to do something. It also helps me release from my work stress from you know day in, day in day out stuff. So reality, this is helping me, but they're helping me help myself. So that's a great little thing. I I, I actually really like the way you said that because I've always had a um, a love hate relationship with the whole Patreon mm-hmm. thing. You know, and people like put certain things behind paywalls and and whatever else and. and you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I had been presented at one time to be part of one and I, I was very unsure about it and, and the whole thing ended up falling through. But I, I like that that you sit there and you're like, look, like, I, yeah, I want to put this out for free. But you know what? People ask me for it. I'll put it out there and just see what happens. Yeah. And if it if it covers the cost, then that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the cost was covered in the first, you know, couple of weeks that we had it on. Um, and I have incentives, you know, the first $25, they get special stickers. And those went out the first month. Um, I just hit over $50. And that's not a lot, but I don't, I'm not looking to gain a bunch of money. I only wanted to support at $25 a month, I can support the hosting fees. At $50 there a month, go. I can do more, right? I can give back to the community more than I than I could. Um and at that point, now I'm I'm at the point where I I told that anyone that was supplying uh, you know five dollars or more uh, a month was now going to get a tap to craft uh, special glass. So now I'm designing a glass that I'm going to be giving nice. to our Patreon supporters. So, and 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 trust me, the glass that costs more than what I'm getting. But because I'm so thankful for people that just want to that appreciate what we do, I'm willing to give more so, to the people that give because I don't know, I, I'm just a giving guy, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give a, you know, make a glass and, and give it to them. And so I'm, yeah. And now I got to come up with the next step, right? To 75 to a hundred dollars. I got to come up with another thing that I'm going to do, but 
all of our content is completely free. I still haven't put anything behind a paywall. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give anything. I'm going to give you perks if you want to, you know, do it. But I'm not going to keep my content behind anything. You know, people are getting a website now. They're getting video. They're getting, you know, the the podcast still. And uh, I'm still going to give that all at no cost. Just people like to support us. Can I get a shirt that says, I'm just a giving guy, Denny, Tap the Craft Podcast? <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> In fact, that's that's probably what I got to do next for the $75. I got to design a t-shirt because Chad Lamasa has been bugging me for three or four years to get a Tap the Craft t-shirt, but I haven't been satisfied with any of the t-shirt producing places. And then I had something set up locally um, in Chad's area from a, a, a shirt designer, but then COVID hit and everything went to went out the you know out the door. So I, now I'm back at square one. So I need so now I'm going to design a T-shirt and a cup at the same time. So when we hit that seventy five, I'll be giving away you know T-shirts and just just make sure it says I'm just a giving guy. I'm just a giving guy. <laughs> all right, all right. So enough of that. Now it's time to talk about your military career. Yeah, man. So you are the very first submariner that I've had on the show. And um, as I mentioned to my listeners, I'm also a submariner. Now I was a generation before you, I, I think, I think I got out before you got in uh, um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're still brothers because the only the only guys that know what you and I have gone through are guys like you and me, because it doesn't matter when you served, it's still the same. It's the same, right? You're being sent out on a mission that's top secret, that you can't talk about to anyone, that you're going underwater where you're not seeing sunlight. For me, it was 90 to nine to 95 days at a time. For you, it was however long they sent you out for. And yeah. Um, you're you're stuck in a windowless tube full of 140 other guys that are, you know, going stir crazy. So a lot of crap goes on down there. And not only that, but it's an extremely dangerous environment. And it's a brotherhood, right? A volunteer service that um, no other service has uh, like we have. So even though we've never met, even though we didn't serve in the same time, it doesn't matter because as far as I'm concerned, we're still brothers and, and, and submariners. So I'm happy to talk to you about your experiences, your military career. So first off, why, when and why did you join the Navy? Uh, so before I answer that, I have to tell you okay. that there was, there was one of two shirts that I meant to wear today, <laughs> and I wore neither of them. I'm wearing my, my Legend of Zelda shirt, which mm -hmm. is my favorite thing. I, I have a great Submariner shirt, and I have a great Brewing shirt, and I wore neither of them. <laughs> um, so, I, so I joined the Navy. I actually left for boot camp uh, the summer of 2000, so mm. four, three, three and a half, four years after four, you got out. Yeah, four years after I got out. Okay. Um, so it was, it was right after high school. I went out. Basically, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do for college, mm -hmm. and so I joined the military. And, and at, at the time, my hope was, oh, I want to fly a jet one day off an aircraft carrier. <laughs> Boy, is that the slimmest chance of a thing you could ever hope for yeah. joining as a enlisted guy. Uh, so whenever I realized that that was not an option for me, or I won't say that. When I realized it was – excuse me. Boy, it's a lot of beer I've been drinking. Uh, 
an extremely slim option for me. I was like, well, I can volunteer for submarines and then I don't have to go on aircraft carrier. So I'm an aircraft carrier. I'm going to see these jets landing and taking <laughs> off. And I'm going to get bitter and pissed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I went on submarines and I'm glad I did mm-hmm. it, it, as far from my job. So I, I was a nuclear mechanic. Uh, and my job, my options were aircraft carriers or submarines. That was the only two options I had. Uh, aircraft carriers are too big. Submarines are just right. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would have enjoyed like a cruiser, little surface ship, something like that would have been great, but uh, not an option. So, so yeah, so I, I went submarines. I, I did uh, two different submarines with the recruiting duty in between. I, I was on the USS Cheyenne, which this is what I was going to show you. My glass is now empty because this beer was so delicious. <laughs> Uh, but this is my oh, USS nice. Cheyenne Christmas 2008, Christmas Luau 2008. So I was in Hawaii for that yeah. one. So USS Cheyenne was the uh, final of the Los Angeles class submarines. And then uh, my second tour was on the Jimmy Carter, which was the third and final and super secretive uh, um, <laughs> Seawolf class submarine. <laughs> So, so you the two things you have in common are both the final subs of both classes of submarines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and they were both commissioned like four or five years before I got on each one of them. <laughs> so they were they were relatively relatively new. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, nice. So, um, when I joined, I only joined to be on submarines. Um, nice. So my history is, my father was in the navy. Um, and he was on aircraft carriers. He was an aviation's boatswain's mate. He directed the planes okay. to land. Um, and my my grandfather on my mom's side was uh, in the navy. He was uh, enlisted man that ran that uh, commanded a PT boat in Hawaii in Honolulu. Um, he was actually commanding that PT boat when uh, Pearl Harbor got bombed, and oh, he wow. he just happened to go out. Um, and have to do some extra something outside the the harbor when it was bombed, or he would have been dead. I would never have been born. I wouldn't be here right now if he hadn't have had that mission to go out there, out you know, do something else outside of the harbor. So that's a. I mean, that, I'm here because of that. Um, he was uh, uh, so he was uh, a chief at that time. He became a warrant officer. Uh, then he uh, then he got out after that. Uh, he he reenlisted after he was um, a civilian. He reenlisted back in the Navy for Korean War and became at that point he became an officer and he was a commander of a supply ship that was supporting the uh, the ships out in the in the ocean in the uh, Pacific. And uh, so he did that. And I have letters that my uh, from my that he wrote to my grandmother during both times um, during the time of. Uh, Pearl, uh, World War II, and uh, which were very loving and very like can't wait to come back and we can start our family and blah blah blah. Um, then move forward to the Korean War when he volunteered to re to go back into the the Navy and be and command a, a supply ship. And those letters are not so loving, right? Because he. <laughs> Uh, you know, he was writing back to his wife who was pissed off that he left her with two children uh, to go back out and, and uh, you know, serve the, the country. Um, I'm very, I, I'm very much drawn to the military 
way of life because of that. My other, my grandfather on my dad's side was in the Air Force for 35 years. He's he um, he ran away from home um, during World War II, went to um, California, joined the Army Air Corps as a cadet pilot, was in the pilot program, forged his parents' signature saying he was old enough to do the pilot program. Um, got halfway through it before he something happened to his eye and he got disqualified. Then he he went from there and was a gunner on um a bomber, a B seven. I gotta get him straight. B seventeen bomber, and he did three tours during World War Two. Got out, got out. Um, then we went back in and um and served in the Air Force for thirty five years. So. Both sides, my I'm named after my father, who was named after his uncle, who died in World War II in the Vietnam Islands as a prisoner of war during that whole prisoner oh, wow. of war march. So there's a lot of history with military. So when I'm similar to, to you, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out of high school. I wasn't plan, planning on joining the military, but the recruiters came by and mm-hmm. uh, and I scored because my, my small school I went to. They forced every other year. They forced all the juniors and seniors to take the ASVAB test, whether you want to join or not. And they saw that my ASVAB score was high, so they wanted to come and recruit me. So they came to recruit me, and I'm like, "No, nah, I'm not going to the military." But it wasn't until they showed me a videotape of William Shatner touring <laughs> a nuclear submarine. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to go on that submarine and I want to serve because those are the elite. They won me over by William Shatner promo you know, PR video. Now, no, I, did you I get completely played, understand. William did you Shatner's amazing. That? Yeah. Did you get played that video? No. 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 Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so if, if you want to talk about history and stuff like that, um, uh, you know, I, my, my great uncle was a tail gunner, mm-hmm. uh, during world war two. My grandfather was in world war two in the army. Uh, he developed photos like recon photos. Mm-hmm. And stuff. never saw any combat. Uh, my stepdad's father was a, a, um, a, uh, a navigator on a bomber. Um, and, and also my, my, my grandfather was not able to join due to, um, uh, an issue with his foot. Or, or whatever else. But one of the coolest things that I have, my grandmother's brother died in World War II. He was a CB. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was like a freak accident where like his Jeep overturned it going around some turn and it fell in the water. I had this little tiny CB pendant thing. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome. Anyone that doesn't know the CBs, the CBs are the construction battalion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're the whole saying is we build, we fight. And it's a bee holding like a Tommy gun and a hammer and a few other things. It's yeah. a little tiny thing. It's so awesome. Um, but no, whenever I whenever I joined, so I didn't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fly. I, I got to fly when I was 15, I think it was. I got to fly in a World War II training plane. And it was the coolest experience of my life. Mm. And uh, so I, I just, I wanted to fly. I wanted to fly. And I, I was kind of getting set up to maybe go to the school where I could get like flight stuff, but like pay for the school by working on their planes and, and whatever else. And the Marines called me mm. and, and my mom hands me the phone and I hand it back to her. And I'm like, I, what, I think I've just signed up. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, 
I went down there and talked to them. And my dad, who is very much, I don't say anti-military, but very much like don't go in the military. Like he never got drafted, but he was ready to go to Canada type thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, go talk to someone else. Whatever you're going to do, go talk to someone else. So I so I went next door to the Navy and they're like, hey, we got this uh, we got this here nuclear program and got this uh, we got this uh, big bonuses for you here, see? And and no, you're wrong. Like I was recruiting years later and I know exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you can come here and, uh, and, and and be a nuclear be a nuclear person on on these aircraft carriers or submarines. And I'm like, all right, sign me up. And, and so I did like it was it was complete naivety mm-hmm. right on my part. But uh, as much as I hated some moments of it, I also loved others and I would not be where I'm at now had it not been for it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I don't regret my decision with one bit. Um, So why did you choose submarines? I mean, you, you, you kind of hinted that you chose submarines because you didn't want to be on the aircraft carrier, seeing planes landing and you not doing it. Is that truly the reason why you chose? Because nobody in their right mind chooses to go on a tube that sinks itself and, and risk their life every time they go out to sea. So I, I'll be honest. Like there was never that part of me that was like, I might die. Right. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a real fear. And maybe it should have been. And there was at least one time in my career where it was a close call. And mm-hmm. I, luckily I didn't know about till after everything was good and over with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, a, a big part of it was I, I didn't think I could take what seeing planes take off knowing I would never be up there with them. Okay. Right. And, and then the other side of it is 150 people, 5,000 people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go where there's 150 people. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. The only reason I decided to join the military and continue the tradition of, of military family was a submarine service that. I was fascinated with watching World War II movies, submarine movies, oh, right? Yeah. When they brought me this William Shatner promo PR film, I said, wow, they still have submarines now? I thought those were all gone back in World War II. I didn't know submarines were still a thing in the 80s, right? And uh, and I was <laughs> hyped. And they they sold me on that right there. And I said, I want to... I'm going and I want to be on submarines. You tell me, you, you make sure I get submarines. So I had a, I had a mission. That's what I wanted to do. So um, I was a, uh, um, a strategic weapons electronics technician. Uh, okay. Swazi or whatever they called it. I can't remember now. And I was a missile tech. We had a choice of, at the, back then they had three ratings. You could be a Navy T, you could be an FTB, which is a fire control tech ballistic missile. Or yep. you could be an, a missile tech. Now, everyone wanted to be the ET because they didn't do any work. They just kind of wore their sweaters, stood up there and did whatever. That's fine. Um, and then everyone else wanted to be the FTBs because they really didn't do anything. And then the MTs were all the guys that were like the knuckle-dragging guys that did all you know did a lot of work, and nobody wanted to be them. Um, after going through my training, I was at the top of my class, and I chose to become a missile tech. And the reason why is because not only did I join the Navy because I wanted to be on submarines, but I wanted to learn I wanted to find out what I wanted to do when I got out of the Navy. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a drive that I wanted to be this career. I wanted to find out what I could, you know, what I was good at so that I could find a career outside once I got done. And I thought the missile tech rating was that position because 
they dealt with electronics, they dealt with pneumatics, they dealt with hydraulics, they dealt with water systems, they dealt with everything, right? And that was like a, a well-rounded thing that I can find out, hey, am I good at this or not? And I and again, the only disadvantage of being an MT is the Cold War ended. <laughs> and when the Cold War ended, <laughs> the, all the ballistic missile submarines started becoming decommissioned with this START treaty that was going on and they're reducing the warheads, and they reduced the subs out there. And so what ended up happening is my rating collapsed and we had a, a, too many MTs with not enough boats to be on it. And so it was impossible to make, to make rate. That's the only disadvantage I had. But other than that, I, I love my rating. Um, I love being, I, I, by being a missile tech, I, I had to be on ballistic missile submarines. They did allow missile techs in the beginning of the vertical launch systems to transfer over to fast attack vertical launch at the beginning of that, that vertical launch thing. Um, and, and kind of become like a torpedo man, yeah. you know, guy, but, um, I never took that opportunity. I stayed, uh, ballistic missile. Um, and I served on the USS Georgia gold crew. In fact, I have my jacket right behind me. I brought out just for you to, to, nice. to show off there. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, I wanted to be submarines. Um, I, I had, uh, one, I had one, I was uh, on watch for the one time that we, I truly thought we were going to die. Um, and uh, we had two other in- incidents where it was, you know, fires on board, which are always um, dangerous uh, okay. and, a hy- and a hydraulic leak. Those two, those three things uh, for flooding. And we had, we had a couple of flooding incidents, but they were controlled. One was out of the, the mast. The head valve stopped uh, working and was stuck open. We didn't know. The stump watch relieved himself. Um, we dove. Guess what? The sump pump, the sump filled. No one was there to say, hey, we got water coming in. And the torpedo room filled up from the bilge all the way to the deck plates. Nice. Uh, before it got called away where they shut the manual valves to isolate the thing. Um, that's a lot of water to being brought on to the sub. That one was a mild one. Um, the one that almost killed us was I was on watch at the launcher watch, uh, mid watch. They were doing a, uh, a, a some kind of a manual bus electrical transfer switch change out uh, back aft for the electrical system, which meant that we had to run off batteries so they can shut everything down and and do this thing. So we had to be surfaced running off the diesel in the middle of the night in winter time at Sea State Six with waves nice. crashing over and the head valves, you know, constantly going off. And I'm sitting at launcher watch, which I have a live gauge of our depth. And I'm just watching this depth gauge. I'm hearing the, you know, you and it goes up and cook. And then all of a sudden it goes dunk and it doesn't come back up. And you hear the diesel slowly start to die. It dies. All the lights go off pitch black. I'm looking at the only thing that's still lit is that depth gauge. And we dropped from, you know, periscope depth to 400 feet or more uh, in less than 10 seconds. That was the, and at the same time that we did that, we had three high pressure blows and we stabilized at a lot further down than I would want to be. And that was when I almost shit my pants because that could have been our death. I mean, that quick, 10 seconds and you're dead. 
that's how dangerous submarines are. It only takes something like that that nobody thinks about, and it happens all the time, and nobody knows about it. We can't, you know, we don't talk about it. In fact, my wife is sleeping right now. I hope she's not listening because I've never told her that story. I'd, I don't, I'd come home, and I don't tell her the near misses because that would have killed her, you know, knowing that I'm going out to sea and dealing with this kind of stuff. So um, I always, at the end of the show, I always, uh, you know, give my thanks out there to the military men serving, especially the submariners, that nobody really knows that we're out there protecting, you know, making circles, doing whatever our mission is. But those guys are at risk of dying every second they're at. I'm glad that you didn't have those experiences. Um, that means that maybe the newer subs were a little bit, uh, you know, less uh, prone to having problems. But but that was only, you know, two, one serious incident that just about killed us. And then one that could have, if we wouldn't catch caught in, in time, uh, could have caused some serious damage. And then, again, like I said, a couple of fires uh, back aft. Hydraulic fire is very bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's a dangerous place, and um... it, it. I mean, it 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 definitely is. I mean, we we had a few a few minor fires that I had to to help deal with because uh, everyone is a firefighter on a submarine. I mean, mm-hmm. you, everyone is a firefighter, and the the watch station I stood, I was one of the lead firefighters because of it. Uh, we had the one incident which I can't really go into details yeah. on, um, uh, where we very easily could have died. But like I said, most people weren't aware of the situation until we were kind of out of it. Yeah. Uh, but but I need to tell everyone, I need to tell everyone that listens here, the, the, the difference between two different types of submariners. Mm-hmm. So you got the boomers <laughs> who go out there and drive circles, and they're deterred. <laughs> they cover these big missiles. They're like, we could shoot at you, but we never will. And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And then you got the fast attack guys like me. Mm-hmm. They go out there and do real things. Yeah, We go out there and do the actual work. We also get to pull into ports, yeah. which the boomers for the most part don't get to. Yeah. Uh, so, so on my first submarine, uh, we didn't have missile techs. I, it, it, we did a vertical, vertical launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, we actually started the second Gulf war like the Gulf war or not. Uh, I'm not here to debate that with anybody. I'm just saying we started it. <laughs> so, so we're out there. We had a nine month deployment, uh, which we pulled into ports along the way. I spent 10 days in Australia. Yeah. Best 10 days. Oh man. Uh, the hard uh, life. I know yeah, it was it was a Liberty Port. I worked a few days of those ten, um, but we had we had a missile tech on board who was able to get transferred in to be a torpedo man, because all this guy wanted to do was shoot missiles. Mm-hmm. All he wanted to do, and as a as a missile tech on a boomer, you're never going to shoot missiles because if you do, that means the world has just ended, right? <laughs> so we're out there, we're doing this stuff, we're floating around the the Gulf or something like that. I don't know somewhere. And he gets appendicitis. Oh no! <laughs> While he's gone, we shot off every single missile we had. We shot off sixteen missiles. Oh my gosh! Uh, shot them all off, and then as we're returning, we picked him back up again. <laughs> all he wanted to do was shoot missiles. Yeah. Uh, the 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 only other thing I wanted to make sure I told you is, uh, being in the Pac Northwest, if you're ever on the surface on a smaller ship and a submarine on the surface will rock even more than a smaller ship. Cause mm-hmm. most use underwater mm-hmm. and they will rock like you have never rocked in your life. I have been almost thrown out of my rack multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I'm on watch one day we're on the surface for it's like a day and a half. We were on the surface cause we were doing sea trials and it's part of the, the deal. 
and we're up there and everyone is seasick. The throttle man, who is the guy that controls the, the speed of the submarine, <laughs> you, you hear the announcement come on. It's like, you know, throttle man, qualified person, you know, please come back to maneuvering. Uh, and then and then you hear it like, please come back right now because he had hurled all over his control panel. Oh, no. Uh, there was an electrician walking around. We convinced him to hang a bucket from his neck because we thought it was hilarious. And we get done off watch. And so you have a third of the boat is on watch, a third of the boat sleeping, and a third of the boat is is doing whatever their offgoing stuff is. So a third of the boat comes on. Our third of the boat goes off, you know, goes off off watch onto our, our free time. And normally you have a Mestex full of people. And on grilled cheese day, they limit you to two grilled cheese with mm-hmm. your tomatoes because grilled cheese is amazing. Not that day. Of the, I don't know, 50 or so people on watch, there were five of us eating. And it was the greatest meal I've ever had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are getting a little bit long, but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to cut our military time short, but um, uh, how long did you serve? So I, I did 12 and a half years. Oh, wow. Uh, which, which a lot of people look at and like, well, why didn't you do the yeah, full 20? Yeah. And uh, last August would have been my 20 year point. And mm-hmm. there was that moment on August 1st. I was like, hmm. but honestly, I made the right decision. I, I, I was at a, I was at a point in my in my career where. I wasn't going to move up because I did not get along so well with the people in the position right above me. And you kind of needed their endorsement to move up. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, uh, I am someone to, uh, uh, to not just um, bend over and, and, and take it in, in certain <laughs> ways. And I, I'm, I, I'm someone who's not just going to uh, do what they want just because it's what they want. Uh, yeah. If it's not the right thing to do. And so, uh, it, it was stressful and, and being on a submarine can be, can be, I mean, it, it can be stressful. And sometimes you're on a three duty rotation where mm-hmm. every third day you're working 24 hours and the other two days you're working until seven or eight o'clock at night. I mm-hmm. mean, especially with, I mean, I was a nuclear mechanic, you were, you were a siliconer, so maybe it wasn't as bad for you, but she's uh, a mo you, you never been we, on, I would never stop working. <laughs> we, we, we had a fire control technician. <laughs> Uh, which, which so so for, for the listeners out there that have never been on a submarine, you have the nukes and you have the coners, right? So the nukes <laughs> control the, the 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 electricity, the going of it, the hydraulics, a lot of these different things, and the the coners uh, basically control the front half of this uh, of the submarine, everything up at forward. And some of those guys, some of the jobs, I mean, some of the jobs work just as hard as the guys back aft. Like honestly, they really do. But there's some of the guys that don't. Right. And yeah. there was one guy who raised his hand one day because our chief of the boat was like, uh, uh, why, why is everyone so stressed out? And this this guy raised his hand and he's like, when, when I get s- sent home at 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on a Friday, and I have to get called back to look for something. It really makes me upset. And everyone looked back at it because because everyone in the, in the back of the boat, we were working, you know, Monday through Friday till eight o'clock at night. And it, I mean, it, it, it it was rough. It, it it depends on who you work for. It, it depends on how different things are going and, and, and the different commands. And and to be honest, I worked for some amazing commanding officers. Like some of my favorite people I ever met was some of the commanding officers, some of the junior officers I worked for. Um, not always some of the chiefs I worked for, but uh, it, it was just I, I was in a really really tough position where mm-hmm. where the weight of the world was on me, but I didn't have anything. I didn't have the power to push back at all. Um, and so it's one of those things where like, I just, I, from, from, for the sake of my sanity and, and my family, I need to get out. Cause otherwise I'm going to drive into a tree as fast as I can yeah. hoping for a half a day off. Yeah. 
All right. So, so it sounded like you had challenges leading up to making chief, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that that's yeah. If you if you're having challenges there, then yeah, it's time to get out. You don't want to continue on forever, especially as a nuke, because those guys make chief like it's seven years. <laughs> Uh, well, and, and it goes through cycles. I mean, so it, it's one of those things that if you're if you're not there, you don't re- really understand it. But there, there are different pay grades and whatever else, and 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 getting up to first class, which is an E six in, in in the enlisted side, there was a time where if you did the job I did and you put your name on the test, you got it. Mm-hmm. And two cycles before me coming up for it, it just stopped. Mm-hmm. Like it all stopped for my specific job, and, and I made it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I was a a leading petty officer. So I I ran the division. I had 13 guys that worked for me. And the chief, there there is a a hard line between first class and chief. And and when you get to chief, you have to pass a test and you have to have a write up that has very specific words in it. Yeah. When you. (laughs) when, When you interact with the people above you in the way that I did mm-hmm. from the very beginning, it doesn't always work out. And, and don't get me wrong. It, some of that's on me, mm-hmm. but not all of it. Uh, I, I had a chief of the boat, right? So chief of the boat is the highest enlisted person on submarine. I had a chief of the boat come through. I, I was just a little nub, right? So, you're, you know, I, I was a clean, non-useful. I, I was, I was working in the galley. I was serving food as a, a little side job that I had to do for a while. And my chief of the boat hated, um, uh, what is those little, those little like the pasta things with the stuff stuffed in it? Um, what, what is it? Uh, raviolis. Ravioli. Yeah. Hated ravioli. So I'm sitting there putting out the ravioli for the mid rats, and the chief of the boat walks through, and the chief of the boat looks at me, and I'm, you know, I'm at this point, I think I'm 20 years old. I, I've been on the boat like two months, and this guy is like a, a 25 year, you know, master chief, and he looks at me, he's like, Beeler, what are you doing? And I'm like. I'm making you a bowl of ravioli, Tom. <laughs> like, I hate ravioli. I'm like, but I'm making this bowl special for you. He's like, do you want me to, to keep you here for long term? And I'm like, I, that's fine with me, Cobb. He's like, ah, you want me to send you back to your division? I'm like, that's fine with me, Cobb. And I'm just like scooping this like giant bowl for him because the dude was a dick. Like he was just a jerk to everyone. And you know what? You're not going to be. You can be a jerk to me all you want, but I'm going to greet you with smiles. Yeah. Well, I'm shocked to hear that a nuke actually was in uh, doing cranking because none of our nukes did cranking. It was all the coners. So we, ours was shortened. Most people had to do it for three months. Ours was like shortened to one month. Oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, but it was the greatest. I was on the night shift. The 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 cook that I was on the night shift with, he and I were friends. I had a great time. <laughs> I got all kinds of stuff done. The he, the head cook let me like sleep with using a bag of rice as a pillow when certain things were going on. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I did all my time during, because again, we're two crews. So I did my cranking time during the, the uh, refit period before when we changed crews. So it was, it was one month of easy cranking. And then by the time we went to sea, I was done with my crank and someone else took over. So, so if you notice, he said he was two crews, which means he was only a sailor half the time. He's a part-time, <laughs> a part-time sailor. Uh, like, well, the submarine the the entire time yeah but uh, <laughs> but 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 keep in mind that i'm sure that i was at sea uh more during that time than you were so so here's the thing is is you say that and and for some submarines that might be true but 
I was on two very special submarines, right? So the second one was the Jimmy Carter. We were, we were a special ops submarine. Yeah. We're the only one in the fleet that did what we did mm-hmm. and all kinds of top secret clearances and stuff like that that came with doing what we did. Um, like I, th- so many things I can't talk about, mm-hmm. right? My first one, though, I had this amazing captain. He got there right, right before I did. Awesome. Everyone loved him. Like We got extra time in Australia because everyone loved him. The captain that followed him <laughs> had these very large shoes to fill. And when you have very large shoes to fill and you're trying to make a name for yourself, you volunteer your crew for everything. Mm-hmm. I got to make you out We were out to sea nonstop because he wanted to make a name for himself. Yeah. Okay. My first patrol. Well, yeah, my first patrol ever on a submarine uh, was we, we went under and didn't didn't surface for 95 days. Uh, now, mainly because we had to cover another boat that had an accident, yep. uh, you know, alert saying. So we, instead of doing our normal time where we'd come up and, and do whatever, we had to cover their package. So, uh, so yeah, so my very first experience of, of going out to sea was a l- over three month period without even seeing sunlight. Uh, and it was rough, but I spent, I mean, we were out three months six months every year period we were out. So four years on board, you know, that's two years under at sea underwater. Yeah. I mean, and the big difference between yourself and ours is, is we, you know, would pull into ports, right. Yeah. And especially yeah. my first boat, we could pull into all kinds of ports. We pulled into Japan four or five times, mm-hmm. uh, Singapore, a couple times, Saipan, Guam, Guam way too many times, <laughs> uh, Australia. You know, I was stationed at Hawaii at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think the longest I went without stepping off the submarine and we would surface every once in a while, we actually pulled into a port, but like two people on the toll boat got off, I think was like 85 or 90 days. And that was when we were prepping, we were prepping for shooting the missiles for the Mm -hmm. second Iraq war and then our second Gulf war and then coming back home. Uh, it, It was a very long stint. Uh, and, and the hardest part, and here's the thing people don't always think about is, and, and it had to be even worse for when you were there, because when you were in the Navy, computers weren't even invented. No, no, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have any, there was no email. That was, yeah, email didn't exist. Computers were running off of a floppy disk. <laughs> so so on, my, on my first boat, like there was a few computers on board and everyone had to kind of share them. Mm-hmm. On my second one, you had a lot more access to computers and emails, stuff like that. But depending on what was going on, I mean, that you would go months without having any contact, or maybe you'd get these. Uh, I forgot what they called them. Familygrams. Yes, familygrams. Yeah. It was like, like three <laughs> 50, sentences long. Fifty words. Yeah, it was like or fifty uh, fifty letters actually, or whatever it was. It was. A limited amount of space. Yeah. Yeah. We are okay. Love yeah. you. Yeah. That's like all they could say. Yeah. And, and you don't know. And so, so bring this back to beer brewing one time I went out to see one time and I, I didn't have a lot of time to write emails or whatever else. And I, I had just put a beer down to, to start fermenting and whatever else. So I sent my wife this email that said, Hey, can you please check on the beer and make sure it's okay <laughs> to this day? I still hear about that email and how like off she was. And I, get it. I get it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure I, I don't have, I wasn't able to communicate with my wife. It was uh family grams were all, all we had. And if we, if we did have a, an ability to get a mail drop, then that would use our mail drops usually occurred as we're pulling back into port and we would get, oh, yeah. you know, six letters or whatever. 
Um, it, we were isolated. We had no way of communicating, no way to get news and off and on, just the familygrams. And I only got eight of those per patrol. And they were like 50 words, I think. And and even that, they were all censored. So if something was said that they didn't think we should hear, it would get hailed by the XO until he would come and give it to me at the end of the patrol. Like one time, my wife's cat uh, was having problems her cat was named Maynard and she made a comment about, yeah, Maynard's not doing well. Uh, you know, he's been sick or whatever. And they held that until I got back and the XO sat with me and said, Hey, I don't, we don't know who this is, but we didn't want to make you upset while you're underway. And I'm like, Oh, this is my damn wife's cat. This is not anything important. <laughs> so, so, and I, I know we're going extremely long here. Yeah. Uh, but so we, 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 we had a guy on the boat, who has paid out a raper. So raper, every nice. Single, every single email that was sent, because it, it, it scans the emails that we would mm -hmm. get for certain words and, and would whatever, every single email he got flagged. We had another guy on the boat who accidentally left himself logged onto a computer. And so I went in and I made up every, you know, you know like if you try to go on Yahoo right now and try to make up an email address, it's going to take you 5,000 before you find one that's available. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, every email address is taken. So I, made, I wrote an email from him to a girl, random girl copy and pasted it to as many random emails as I could just make up, hoping that one of them would actually hit someone and come back. And one of the radio men came up to me because I guess they all flagged because of something I wrote. I don't know what. And they're like, it, it, is King okay? He's saying these things. I'm like, yeah, I think he's okay. No idea it was me the entire time. Uh, yeah, yeah. That <sighs> Communication's rough, man. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. All right, Johnny. Well, you know what? We, like you said, we are running along. Uh, one last thing, though, is that uh, I just had, I wrote down this little thing I wanted to make sure that, that uh, we all understood is that for me, and I think you mentioned the same thing, is that the Navy had, an, the Navy and especially submarine service had a profound effect on my life, taught me the importance of integrity, teamwork, respect for chain of command, and how to swallow pride and sacrifice for the benefit of the whole. I use these things every day in my life that makes me a, a better person uh, and a better uh, civilian even, you know, that, that, you know, the Navy's taught me well. And I think the key is integrity. And I think that, especially in the nuke land, integrity is a big uh, importance, right? Because you need to make sure that you, uh, you know, when something happens that you own up to it so we don't have a problem, you know, down the line. So, uh, anything, I, I get the feeling that it's the same for you, right? You, you already said that you wouldn't go back and, and take back what you've already done. It, it's, it's been a profound effect on your life also. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, it, it, it teaches you things that you would not expect to be taught. Um, and there are definitely things I hate about it. And there's definitely things I think need to be changed about the way certain things happen, uh, and, and some of the leadership of it, but, mm -hmm. When you're out there with a, especially on a submarine, you're out mm -hmm. there 150 people and you know that every single one of those lives in your hand. I mean, the maintenance that I did alone, mm -hmm. if I didn't do it right, could have killed people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's something you're not going to get in a lot of other places. Yeah, that's true. I was a QA guy. So my signature is still yeah. on the USS Georgia, probably on some of those uh, things I, I uh, signed off on. So yeah, sub safe is for real. And uh <laughs> And yeah, yeah. So it's a, uh, I'm proud of it. Um, 
I don't get a chance to talk about it very much. I'm glad that you were able to come on here and chat with me a little bit. I, I again, we're a brotherhood. Even though you served uh, a few years after I did, you know, we know how each other are. And um, ha- have you read any books? Do you read any books on submarines? Like, have you read uh, Blind Men's Bluff? Uh, I don't remember if I read that one or not. Uh, I got in trouble one time and I was only allowed to, uh, I was only allowed to consume, uh, military related books. Mm-hmm. And I read one, God, I cannot think of what the name of the thing is, but it was, it was about a, a submarine that was sunk. Um, God, the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. It's been a number of years and I've tried to block that memory due to the horrible stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so much, but here, here's the question I, I did want to really, really ask you is, oh, sure. what is the most accurate in your opinion, the most accurate submarine movie. And there's, I'm sad. Sorry. There's only one right answer. Uh, Das Boot is the only probably accurate one. Okay. So that is, the mo- okay. So sorry guys, he gave <laughs> the real answer. Yes. Das Boot, amazing movie, most accurate. Uh, but the answer I was looking for is down Periscope. Down Periscope. <laughs> The crew for action in that movie is more accurate than anything else. You're probably you're probably right. Yeah, you got you got me there. Yeah, that honestly, I've watched every submarine movie out there, and my wife she cringes every time I watch one because she knows I'm going to critique it to hell. But I've gotten better in my old age. I just let it ride because it's like you know what nobody nobody understands. I mean, it's all it's all Hollywoodized, but yeah. They understand it's all a party down there. Yeah. The, the like, aside for all the scary stuff he and I were talking about, the goofiness that happens on oh, the yeah. submarine. Yeah. No, there's a. So, you know, I'm a a pretty conservative guy. I mean, I, as you can tell, I'm not a crazy guy. Um, I I do okay. I did okay on a submarine. You have to adapt, right? You have to right. you have to be a predator, or you're going to be the prey. And so I, I had my fair share of those pranks that went on. Um, and, and you know what? It was a good time. <laughs> and and nobody will understand unless you're down there. And everyone might think that you're a weirdo. But you know what? We're not weird. We're just having fun. That's just all the way, yeah. the way it is. <laughs> all right, Johnny, it's time to uh, to raise a glass to someone you like to raise a glass to. So you have an opportunity to raise a glass to anyone you want to raise a glass to. You know our glasses and bottles are empty. I don't have any beer left. What do you want to raise no, a glass I, to? <laughs> uh, so I, I'd, I'd like to raise raise a glass uh, to to two different two different people. So one of them is uh, Matt Knight uh, or yes. Skinny Matt, who uh, who I know you have shouted before. He is the reason that you and I have connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to meet him in person about a year and a half ago at a, uh, a charity gaming event. Mm-hmm. Um, skinny Matt Knight. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, the, the other one is my friend, Dave Moore, who is one of the reasons why I've done as much podcasting as I have. And he actually has a thing right now called the snack network, uh, where he and some of those other people, and it's where my video of beer brewing and a couple of my little video reviews will go up. Uh, if you want to see someone who is not like super big into the beer scene, try beers and talk about what they think about them. Check out the snack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've actually, I actually watched all their videos on those, uh, 12 days of Christmas beers. <laughs> and, and I, I laughed quite a bit about some of the stuff they said, cause it was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, they're just, it's just goofy people having fun, trying beers and not, be, not taking it too serious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, you know what, Matt or Matt, <laughs> 
<laughs> Johnny, uh, you stole my uh, my toast because I also not only I want to toast Matt for being a Patreon supporter. He uh, he took a, a one month hiatus, but came right back on in January. So thank you, Matt, for for uh, continuing your Patreon support. But also, like Johnny said, if it wasn't for you recommending that I be on Johnny's podcast, which still is going to happen one day, hopefully, uh, we would have never met. And I've been looking forward to talking with Johnny either on his podcast or on mine for over a year. And it finally happened. So cheers to you, Matt for uh, for bringing us together, just like uh, Johnny said. And of course, as I always do, I always want to raise my glass to all the servicemen and women out there who are protecting our freedoms. Uh, cheers to you. Uh, please return home safely to your families uh, very soon. And I like to, uh, let's see, if you like to follow us on social media, I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Loose Crew. And Johnny, how do you want your, how do you want to present your contact information to our listeners? If you want to find me or anything that I do, uh, I'm at Johnny underscore casino on Twitter, J O N N Y underscore casino on Twitter. I, I keep my DMS open. So if you have any thoughts on, uh, uh these, these different brewing systems that mm -hmm. I should check out, if you have recommendations, cause you've used them, hit me up, uh, DM the hell out of me. I, I <laughs> definitely see it. Uh, if you want to see anything else I do, you can find it there. Whenever I start back up, uh, radio is lame, which God, I miss it so much. Like it, it is an emptiness inside me for not being able to do it. Uh, I, I will definitely be posting about it there. Uh, besides that, I, I do a lot of retweeting of video game stuff that I do for the mega dads. So, uh, if you want to hear my random voice, you can hear it there as well. All right. Well, it is last call. It's time to bring the show to a close. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to the show. We ask you to please tell a friend and, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, and now Pandora, or however you listen to your podcast. And as a reminder, we release a new episode every two weeks. Now, in tribute to Johnny and his podcast, I will close the show with this. Radio is lame, but craft beer is worthy. <laughs> nice <laughs> cheers <laughs>